welcome once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. It is now time for our weekly review show. In this one, we're going to be looking at titles that were released on the 9th of December. Uh, it was a pretty big week, I have to say. I think one or two people had slight reservations about the quality of this week, but there's certainly no lack of variety. So we're going to be going through our favorite titles as always, a few honorable mentions, what we're looking forward to next week. And of course, we'll start with all the new stuff as ever. So your host is always Alan, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes. I'm delighted to be joined as ever by Mr. Miller. Keith, how are you, sir? I am doing fine, Alan, doing fine. I mean, I... I don't know that I had the same reservations about quality uh, this week as uh, as the new boy had. <laughs> He's clearly you, Paddy. He's making these making these statements so early in your career. Yeah, no, we'll we'll get on to it. I think Paddy was just a bit of a grump last week, and that came across in absolutely everything I touched. So, <laughs> no, I had a bit of a, a reread last night, this morning, and a few opinions changed, and some didn't. Oh, interesting. Good. Good. Well, it's interesting to hear that you were enough of a grump that you started referring to yourself in the third person there as well. That was good. And I'm sure despite, <laughs> I'll never do that again. And I'm sure despite your relative grumpiness, I'm sure that didn't impact your watching of The Mandalorian, I'm guessing? It didn't. I had The Mandalorian on Friday, and then I went out for a meal on Saturday. Almost, so, almost sounds like a bit of a normal life right there. You know what? It really did. But the concern you have now when you go into a restaurant or... You know, I found myself a bit on edge when somebody was getting too close to the table and you're kind of like, always up, Paddy, you know. I've had corona already, so I know I'm not immune, but I think if you've had it once, you're you're okay, maybe the the second time. So, no, but that was, it was a sense of normality. Got Wonder Woman this week. I look forward to trip to the cinema and then the inevitable lockdown next week. So, mm, what, uh, what day is Wonder Woman out on? Wednesday. Wednesday, interesting. Out of pure curiosity, when and where are you booked into to see that, Paddy? Believe it or not, I'm booked in in Screen 14 Movie House at quarter past seven. Yeah, because I'm booked into the same view. I know, I've seen that. I booked my tickets first. I'd like to add I'll send in the, <laughs> I'll send in the email proof. You know what? I might, uh, I might do exactly the same myself. We'll see how we go. The might, reason uh, the quarter past seven, Sean, though, is because it's in Screen 14, which is the biggest screen in Movie House. Exactly. Right. There was one the at eight. Past six. Yeah. There was one at eight o'clock as well. I looked at, but it's in screen one, which used to be their biggest screen until yeah. they did a big extension. So, uh, there were still tickets available for it. Keith. Obviously, I, I feel very comfortable going to the cinema. We went a few times after the first lockdown. You know, when you book your two seats, it immediately cancels off the two seats in front of you, the two seats behind you, the two seats to your left, and the two seats to your right. So, it's all really well spaced. I remember going to the movie house. Uh, Vicky and I went to see Akira. There's people taking temperature checks at the door. You know, I, I feel very, very safe going to it. So, and again, it's it's getting back to a little bit of that normality. And even if Wonder Woman came out on the exact same day over here uh, to watch on the TV, I want to go to a big screen for that. So, you know, it's it's been too long. We, we For a long time there, we took superhero movies for granted. There was six of them a year. You know, you made an event of it. You went opening weekend. And, you know, we haven't really been able to do that that much this year. So... Very much looking forward to that, I have mm-hmm. to say. Yeah, I mean, I went to the cinema to see Tenet uh, down south. Um, you know, I certainly felt comfortable with the, the the viewing experience. You know what I mean? There was no, as you say, it was, it was there was appropriate appropriate measures taken. You know, so uh, so I wouldn't be too worried either. Now I have to say. 
Well, if we get you booked in then on Wednesday, Keith, as well, we'll be able to all review it next week as well. <laughs> I think I'll be doing a wee rewatch of the first Wonder Woman tomorrow night. You know, just any excuse to rewatch Wonder Woman is, is not a bad thing. But oh. speaking of superhero movies and superhero content and all the rest, we obviously had that uh, D23, the Disney, and of, of all things, the Disney Investor Day uh, promotion that they were showing off lots of announcements. So sexy, doesn't it? Doesn't it just, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't quite roll off the tongue the same way, you know, San Diego Comic-Con does or stuff like that, but it was basically called Disney's Investor Day 2020, but yet the public were allowed to watch it. Go figure. But uh-huh. it was it was maybe a three to four hour presentation, I'd say. They went through everything from uh, Disney TV studio stuff that's coming up to they're obviously in conjunction with National Geographic who have content on uh, Disney Plus. And I must admit, the National Geographic stuff, some of that looked really great as well. Uh, you also had stuff from Hulu, stuff from they've taken over you know, FX, obviously since the, the 20th Century Fox merger. But I think we're probably all in agreement that the two main ones that stood out for us the most was the uh, Lucasfilm uh, presentation and the Marvel presentation. And and to a degree, oh, yes. actually, that's slightly unfair. To a degree as well, the Pixar one as well. Mm, yeah. So Star Wars wise, you two boys are more Star Wars than me, I have to say. So what were your thoughts on it, Keith? Well, I mean, obviously, I'm excited to see anything announced but Jesus, there's an awful lot in that slate, uh, and it, it all seems to be, you know, what twenty is it twenty twenty two? But most of it's coming out. But there's a whole lot on there. So there were there were a whole lot of Disney Plus projects. Obviously, uh, there were there was Obi Wan Kenobi starring Ian McGregor with Hayden Christensen returning as Darth Vader. Um, two series that were set in the Mandalorian era. You know, obviously a fantastic show itself. Uh, those are Rangers of the New Republic and Ahsoka, uh, coming off the back of the, the fan favorite character that was introduced a couple of episodes ago uh, in live action. Um, they have also announced additional titles for Disney Plus, which include uh, Andor, Star Wars The Bad Batch, Star Wars Visions, Lando, The Acolyte, and A Droid Story. Um, and then uh, they've announced a the next feature film in the franchise, which is Rogue Squadron to be directed by the South Sea and Patty Jenkins, who is uh, the director of the Wonder Woman movies. Um, so there's an, but I mean, I don't know. Obviously, Obi Wan Kenobi, seriously excited. Rosario Dawson was fantastic as Ahsoka. I don't have any idea what the Rangers of the New Republic are uh, or anything else there, but yeah, it's an awful lot of stuff. And my worry is, are they going to over egg it? Is it too much fatigue? You know, is that, I, I just, I don't know. There was, I don't know. Is, are they are they going to kill the golden goose? No, I think it's it's in safe hands in terms of the TV. I think if they scatter their releases enough, I, I think we'll be the one that stood out for me was Lando because oh. which which Lando are we going to see? You know, we've had two incarnations of him. We had him in could this you know possibly set up another solo movie if they go with Donald Glover. Oh. So uh-huh. yeah, no, I, I kind of woke up early that morning for work. I think it was half seven and by the time it finished reading everything it was 10 to nine <laughs> i'm like i have 10 minutes to make it to work and that was just uh, all the star wars titles that took you all that time to read trailers as well for the marvel stuff you know it, it almost felt like there wasn't a comic-con this year i think a lot of this would have maybe been announced there you know live panels so the cap it for the the, the investor call you know which mm. you think would be a, a chat about shares and where the market's going not just a scatterbomb of information and mm. future titles. 
the other thing that they noted that they, they, they mentioned was a Star Wars feature film directed by and written by uh, Taika Waititi, which is, yeah. which is always always welcome. But yeah, yeah, I guess if they if they parse it out, great. Um, you know, um, that'll be interesting. But I think Obi Wan could be there as is is standing high in that list for me as the but I mean it's going to take so much to 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 equal or exceed the quality of Mandalorian. Yeah. You know, episode in, episode out, you know. It looks uh, like really... they've killed off the, the Rian Johnson trilogy and the two guys from Game, Game of, of Thrones, Thrones David Weiss and uh, David Beninoff. They, they have a trilogy announced. That's kind of, you know, one of the rumours was they wrapped up Game of Thrones so quick so they could get this style. I think it was, a, they agreed to film in Belfast as well. I think it was, you know, it was going to be huge. And then the reaction to the, the final series of Game of Thrones and it looks like that's disappeared. Mm. Or maybe the, the reaction to the last Star Wars trilogy as well, potentially. I mean, I can see why Ryan Johnson's is gone. Uh, I can see why that's out the out the window. But um, we are not talking about the Last Jedi. No, again. We're definitely not. Definitely <laughs> not. The other, the other, there's a couple of other things that were interesting and comical. Uh, first of all, they're going to be revisiting Willow, uh, classic uh, movie starring uh, Warwick Davis and uh, and um, you know Val Kilmer. They're revisiting that as a series. Uh, so that's another Lucasfilm uh, announcement, and then the announcement of the next installment of Indiana Jones, starring Harrison Ford. Why, why bother? <laughs> He's too old. Get over it. No, give him, give him a, a, a bout. Let him have one more roll of the dice, say his farewell, and then that'll do it. I don't want it the, the hand over the hat to anybody else. I think this should be the the drawn line. Just finish, kill him off. I mean, was that I'd not like was that not the was that not the idea of the last movie where they included uh, what do you call him as the son? Shia LaBeouf. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. See, well, the, anyway. famous... see, Crystal Skull gets a lot of hate. I don't think it's that bad a movie. It's I not agree great. 100%, it's not great, but there's a lot of entertaining stuff in it. I just love the fact that people took umbrage with it because it involved aliens. But apparently a religious cup that gives you eternal life <laughs> or some stones that stop it raining or the, you know, all these souls trapped within, you know, in the Golden Ark. I, none of those are any less realistic or any more realistic. Aliens, aliens didn't bother me. Aliens didn't bother me. That terrible scene of Sheila Buff swinging in vines was But that's my terrible. point. If you cut a, if you if you just get over a couple of things, like there's some really good uh, stuff. Yeah, no, I had no problem. I, I thought it was a dead on. Dead on it's entertaining dead on. enough, but but yeah, just, just to slightly go back with the Star Wars stuff, the only thing that worries me, as you said, is the, is the volume of it because... With Mandalorian, all eyes and all efforts were on making that one show fantastic. And now you're probably going to break up that team and they're all going to have their own little shows and maybe the quality will dip. I don't know. I, ju- I just hope that they don't all connect. That's my big thing. I hope it's not a case of you have to watch these 15 shows. I, hope I don't, it, don't think so. I don't get that impression. I hope it's a little bit like what we say about, you know, when you're reading comic series and tie-in issues you know, read the ones you like and ignore the rest. So with this, hopefully just pick and choose what, what looks good and, you know, ignore the rest. Or if you're having a particularly, you know, quiet viewing time or you've nothing to watch, maybe stick one of them on. But, but yeah, the Star Wars stuff was really, really cool. The uh, the reason I mentioned Pixar was just primarily because that movie Soul, I think, looks fantastic. Mm, which is out at Christmas. It's, yeah. uh, it's Christmas, Christmas Day. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's just I seem to be in a real jazz thing recently, you know, especially after uh, reading that graphic Blue and Green by Ram V. Right, and then yeah. I was watching Whiplash and I've been listening to a bit of jazz music and stuff. So it really appeals to me. But 
Let's be honest, we're here to talk about the Marvel slate, and holy moly, did they deliver with a shed load of announcements, <laughs> more than expected amounts of footage, um, a recommitment to the cinematic experience, you know, certainly in the wake of the HBO news. Yeah, just the, I didn't want mm. this panel to end, and I think Kevin uh, Feige didn't want it to end either, he just uh, kept rolling was... stuff out. It was another, you know, it was it, it took the whole thing up a notch, like it took the whole thing up up to a whole other level, you know what I mean? So there was the announcements of new series. There was, as you say, recommitment to previously announced series or previously mentioned uh, things, and then there was a, you know, a few movie announcements. So uh, shall we shall we go through? Starting with a maybe start with a new the new series, the Disney Plus series. You lead the way, Mr. Marvel. This this is your bread and butter right oh, here. Oh, I absolutely yeah. loved it. Whenever the announcements was made, I messaged straight in the Keith going, Keith, we need a recap from you. So I've been really <laughs> looking forward to this. So there was there was there was three brand new series that were that were announced that we hadn't heard about. Uh that was Secret Invasion starring Samuel L. Jackson, supposed to have a vehicle for Nick Fury. Ironheart, uh starring Dominique Thorne as as uh, the 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 young girl, the the genius sort of uh, engineer who picks up, uh, you know, from from Tony Stark, um, Riri, uh, Riri Williams, and then Armor War starring John Teadle as uh, as as James James Rhodes, uh, War Machine, uh, and he is, I guess, if it's anything like the original Armor War story, Tony Stark's uh, Tony Stark's technology uh, leaks, and there's a lot of armor suits popping up here, there, and everywhere. In the story, Tony Stark went around, you know, cleaning that up, uh, and obviously in this case, you know, Rhodey is going to be taking the taking the role of, of Stark. Um, is, is this another example of how useless Tony Stark is at keeping his tech to himself? Uh, if, if you want to put it that way, yes. Yes. I had a laugh, Alan. I, I set up my you and Vicky a profile on Disney Plus on a message just saying I've even set your favorite superhero as the your your avatar, and it is in fact Iron Man. <laughs> nice one, Pat. <laughs> nice one. How little um, you know me. How little you know me. So, in addition, we had you know the the other Disney Plus titles that we've already seen announced. So those were WandaVision, which is we you know is coming in January. Uh, and they had there was a, a trailer for that. Um, not a big fan of watching a second trailer, but uh, that looks really, really interesting. Just don't know where it's going at all. Seems to suggest whatever's happening might be happening inside the inside the stone, inside the the mind stone. You know, so that could be interesting. We've got the Falcon and Winter Soldier, which just looks like a real interesting buddy comedy. There was another trailer for that. Loki, which uh, has specified that. Loki is, seems to be uh, a maybe a not entirely willing agent of the Time Variance Authority, the TVA. Uh, so that that's kind of an so he looks like he's going to be a, a, an investigative series. And it looks like he's going to be be solving mysteries through time. There was the animated series What If, just the classic uh, Marvel um, Marvel comic series What If, you know, showing showing different uh, different words or different What Ifs, what What If variations of of the stories that I guess we know from the MCU. Uh, so, for example, there's one where Peggy became Captain America instead of Steve, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, Miss Marvel was announced, uh, which is going to tie on very much to, I think, uh, Captain Marvel 2. Uh, some of the stuff with, from Hawkeye that we were talking about last week was was uh, was officially reconfirmed. The Jeremy Renner series, She-Hulk, starring uh, Titania 
Maslany in the in the title role, and also including Mark Ruffalo and Tim Roth returning as the abomination from their Incredible Hulk movie. So it's nice to see connections being made with that. Uh, I guess sometimes maybe it's the the redheaded stepchild of the of certainly phase one of the uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, it's not you know especially what happened with the lead the lead actor and so forth and so on. Uh, Moon Knight. There's a lot of talk about Moon Knight. You know, he's no one as Marvel's Batman, but he's very very interested in it. He has multiple you know multiple personalities, dissociative identity disorder, and apparently that's going to play a huge role. Um, and there's some great Moon Knight runs that that could be based on. They talked about Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, uh, going to be a live action uh, Christmas one off. I think in a couple of years' time, um, maybe next next Christmas. I think maybe next Christmas. Can't remember what it was. Uh, James Gunn is going to be directing that, and I mean, the first thing I thought about whenever I heard that announced was, you know, the Star Wars holiday special, the infamous Star Wars holiday special. So uh, we'll see. And then there's going to be a series of original shorts called I Am Groot, uh, which is going to feature the, you know, the the baby tiny tree version of uh, of Groot. You know, and I think they're definitely, I think they're probably pulling on the, uh, you know, the the, the child chase. from them. Yeah, you know, some of that sort of stuff. I don't know. Um, Movie-wise, uh, we we reconfirmed upcoming feature films, including Black Widow, Shang-Chi and the uh, Legend of the Ten Rings, Eternals, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Thor, Love and Thunder, Black Panther 2, Blade, Captain America, Captain Marvel 2, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, so uh, with regard to dates for those, I think Black Widow is May 7th next year. Uh, Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings is June 9th next year, and Eternals is supposedly November 5th next year. Multiverse of Madness is March 25th, 2022. Thor, Love and Thunder, May 6th, 2022. Black Panther 2, July 8th, 2022. Blade is undated. Captain Marvel is November 2022. Um, and then there was a couple of other... Oh, Guardians of the Galaxy is 2023, but there was a couple that were undated, and those were uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, Quantum Mania, which is undated, and that's the, the first announcement of that title. And for me, the announcement of, I think, the, the day was the confirmation of the arrival of Marvel's first family uh, into the MCU, the Fantastic Four. So really looking forward to that. So do we want to break some of those get down, gents? By all means, by all means. I mean, if you jump into the movie stuff, first of all, I think it's important to note that Disney are sticking to the theatrical model with those release dates. Yes. I think a lot of people, and I'm definitely included in this, thought that Black Widow would be on Disney Plus before the end of this year. But they've obviously recommitted to the theatrical model with the idea to launch that in May of next year. So looking forward to that, of course. Mm -hmm. Then you have the the month after that. Shang-Chi is a strange one for me because I find it interesting that we're six months from that and we haven't seen one frame of footage. I, I was expecting a trailer here, I must admit. Mm, I was too. I mean, obviously, Feige you know, talked a lot about the work that's been done on it and, and so forth. So on the, the link there, you know, to the rest of the Marvel Universe is the Ten Rings, the legend of the Ten Rings. How they're looking at the Shang-Chi, I don't know, but we know the Ten Rings from the Iron Man movies and the Mandarin. And uh, the Mandarin, I believe, is probably going to be posited as Shang-Chi's father. Uh, I think uh, Shang-Chi's father, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the original incarnation of Shang-Chi is now a wee bit problematic. Uh, we've talked about previously, so I, I, I don't know if that's the angle they're going for. Um, you know, the Ten Rings, the Mandarin, you know, so anyway. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that That was one I was expecting a trailer on as well, but we didn't get it. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to the, to the martial arts side of that one. That's going to be fantastic. 
And then, of course, we've got the Eternals, which, as you say, is going to be November 5th, 2021. So uh, with some of these movies, they're, they're being moved back a full year. I mean, Black Widow was originally May 2020. Uh, Eternals was originally November 6th, 2020. So it's a full year back for that. Eternals is such a strange one as well because, I mean, the impression I get from the Eternals is this is going to be a big, massive, epic scope movie. And again, we I, I still don't know an awful lot about it. You know, there was obviously the, slated to release the Kieran Gillen comic book that was maybe going to tie in, and now they've moved it back a little bit and that kind of thing. I mean, we, we've spoke about the Eternals before. You know, it's a, it's a really cool cast that they've got lined up for this one, and that one intrigues me, I have to say, and I, I think it'll be the launching point for a lot of the next phase of Marvel. I mean, I think that there was one thing that, that has, you know, in, in, the, in the cast list that they showed, apparently... Uh, your guy that played um, uh, what do you call him, Jon Snow, in Game of Thrones was supposed to be Black Knight. Mm-hmm. Uh, now Black Knight is a human character who uh, who falls in love with an Eternal, and you may notice actually in in the preview and previews this this month for for February, uh, King and Black Black Knight has a one shot. So they're obviously ramping up Black Knight, you know, and reintroducing him to to readers uh, ahead of Eternals the movie, I think, but. You know, so that's for the point of view, but that, it could be a really, it's, I can't see how it connects. Obviously, it will connect, but how it will connect to the existing MCU. Yeah. I thought the same when I first watched the first Guardians of the Galaxy uh, trailer. I remember thinking, God, this is going to bomb so bad oh. because it was so different. Yeah, true. And it turned out to be an absolute smash. Yeah, yeah and I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying that it's going to bomb at all. I don't think that it, it's just, it's very different. It is very different, you know, so so let's see what, let's see what, what happens there for sure. Um, thought what was interesting. Uh, one of the you know they would, whenever they were talking about one division, there's a, a grown up uh, Monica Rambo, uh, played by uh, Tiona Paris. Now I don't know if you remember Captain Marvel. Do you remember? Uh, do you remember Brie Larson's uh, Carl Danvers' best friend uh, in it? Her fellow pilot mm-hmm. uh, or co-pilot had a daughter, yeah. uh, and the daughter had. Had uh, Carl's jacket and all of that, and helped her choose the color of her uniform and all of that stuff. Do you recall that? Yeah. Okay. So, so she had a daughter called Monica, um, and obviously it was a movie set in the eighties. So, whenever One Division rolls around, this girl's going to be growing up. Now, Monica Rambo in Marvel uh, in Marvel history plays another version of Captain Marvel, the cat, the version of Captain Marvel that took place in the original nineteen eighty. Point in the original 1984 Secret Wars. She was an Avenger. She can control all sorts of radiation and light. She can turn her body into different forms of radiation. So the fact that she's in it is interesting. I would say she's going to be another version of Captain Marvel. So they've mentioned that she's going to be in one division and Kamala Khan, who will be in Miss Marvel, the TV series, is also going to be in Captain Marvel. Too. So that's going to be interesting. Well, yeah, potentially. That's, to- that's all casting that'll obviously factor into 2022. Uh, which, mm-hmm. again, it looks deeply stacked. It kicks off with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. First of all, what an awesome title. Second of all, Sam Raimi. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a shame to see that Scott Derrickson stepped away. I think the first Doctor Strange is very underrated. I actually think Agreed, it's yeah. a cracking movie yeah. that not an awful lot of people talk about. But if you're going to you know, put someone into what is... I think this was described as the first horror movie in the MCU. And if you're going to put someone in to direct that, Sam Raimi, I think, is your uh, man. Uh, and in that, it was confirmed we'll have America Chavez coming in, who becomes mm-hmm. Miss America. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen will be in the sequel too. So again, that's going to link to WandaVision. Vision. So it's uh, it's it's looking well stacked. You've got Benedict Cumberbatch back. You've got Rachel McAdams back as well. And no doubt I will mess this pronunciation up. Chevetel Ajifor as Baron Mordo as well. So <laughs> It's returning, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, another one to look forward to. Um, then what else have we got? We have... Although it wasn't confirmed, don't forget the, the heavy, heavy rumours that Charlie Cox is set to reprise his role as Matt Murdock in the new Spider-Man movie, along with anybody else who has ever appeared in a Spider-Man movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, that was interesting because obviously they didn't make any announcements about uh, Spider-Man, which, as Alan rightly says, I think they're going to be leaving until Sony to do. Uh, yeah, so you know. that's, that's Sony's job because Sony still essentially owns the rights to, you know, cinematic Spidey. They're obviously set up a really good relationship with Marvel to have it sort of moving across the movies and so forth. But yeah, I think Sony are going to be the ones to announce that. So you could probably fill a whole podcast with all the rumors towards that Spider-Man movie because <laughs> yeah. they clearly didn't learn from Spider-Man 3 when they tried to have Peter and Harry and Sandman and Venom and et cetera, et cetera. So <laughs> I, I'm slightly wary of that Spidey movie, but that's a conversation for another day. Uh, but further confirmed, obviously, Thor Love and Thunder. We, we'd heard about this before. I believe it was at last year's San Diego Comic-Con. Natalie Portman's coming back. So you're going to have the female Thor, Jane Foster, straight out of the comics. But the big news certainly with this one was the confirmation that once again Marvel need a good villain. So once again they cast Batman. So Christian Bale is coming across to play Gore the God Butcher. This just uh, this must have been if Fantastic Four was your announcement of the night, this must have been a very, very close. Oh, very. Case. I was I was whooping. I was whooping. <laughs> I was <laughs> good because obviously you know, the inclusion of Gore the God Butcher shows that they are very much uh looking towards Jason Aaron's Star Run. As inspiration here, you know, Jason Aaron created, uh, you know, Gore the God Butcher, the third of Thor, God of Thunder, and it just is, it's right the way through. Uh, yeah, so that, uh, fantastic. I was over, I was over the moon on, I was absolutely over the moon, I have to say that. And you do wonder as well if this is, and I mean, this might, this is pure conjecture on my part, but you do wonder as well because I, I believe that the, the seeds started to be sown here for what eventually leads to Null and the God of the Symbiotes and the Necro Sword and, all this kind of stuff. So could they be looking five years down the line at, you know, Keenan Black, the movie? Uh, they could be. They need a decent Venom movie first, though. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's hard to argue with that point, in fairness. Uh, I did watch Venom for a second time recently, and I thought it was it was all right. But, yeah, it's nowhere near what it should have been. But, but anyway, yeah, so that's Thor um, Love and Thunder. And, you know, on a personal note, I just recently today purchased the first 25 issues of that at a reasonable cool. price probably not a Very cover nice. price like that a fan like keith paid for it but uh i'll look forward to dig- digging deep into that you of course had black panther sequel we knew was going to go ahead there was a very nice tribute certainly to chad the unfortunate mm. passing of chadwick boseman uh black panther 2 is an interesting one we touched on it last week as well well with, yeah um, i mean obviously they confirmed that they won't be recasting uh the they won't be recast they won't be bringing them back you know they won't, they won't be um using any sort of digital technology they won't be they're recasting the role so uh you know uh, so that means t'challa won't be won't be recast uh which is great you know there's and we've talked about how there there are obvious comic uh inspirations there that could be taken um you know and will we see i mean we don't need chadwick boseman you know in in it 
in Black Panther 2, you know, Black Panther is a legacy character, you know, T'Chaka was the was was Black Panther before T'Challa was. Um, you know, his father passed the passed the mantle on to him. Um do we see, you know, T'Challa in the Black Panther armor maybe 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 being killed in the first in the first five minutes of the movie and then the story passing on? Do we what about the rumors about Atlantis? You know, and, and Black Panther you know that no, I don't know. There's there's all sorts of, of ways they could do that. It's it's really really interesting. But I was just really glad to see Kevin Feige confirm that they won't be recasting T'Challa. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, currently slated May sixth, twenty twenty two. Then you have Captain Marvel two, November eleventh, twenty twenty two. Don't have an awful lot to say on it aside from obviously the. The inclusion of Miss Marvel, I think, will make that really interesting, who, of course, is the original Captain Marvel fanboy. Uh, you have the adult version, as you were chatting about before, Keith, Monica Rambeau, who will be first seen in One Division. I'm not a lover of Captain Marvel, so this doesn't really do much for me personally, but I'll still be there opening weekend, which is hilarious. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Even a bad, well, maybe bad's a strong word, but even a, a less good Marvel movie is still better than probably 50% of movies out there, so... Uh, uh, I'm really interested in Blade. I'm really interested in Blade. Um, that's it. We're hitting the 2023 part now, which again just shows how far ahead that you know Marvel plan these things. You know, Kevin Feige is meticulous in his planning. He, you know, we're looking at weeks and months. He's looking at years and a decade. You know, in the case of the Infinity Saga, so you know, you have Guardians Volume Three, 2023, as you say, Ant Man and the Wasp, as it makes a bid to be Marvel's best trilogy currently held by captain america if you ask me absolutely uh, mm -hmm. but i love the first two ant-man movies and then as you say blade blade's a really interesting one because they announced i think it was san diego comic-con 2019 that it was mahershali ali taking on the character who of mm -hmm. course played cottonmouth in uh in luke cage, luke cage. And then there's been zero news since, no scripting, no director. They, they, they just keep saying it's coming together and they'll have announcements soon. So really curious what they'll do with that, especially since I also this week picked up the original Blade on 4K. What, ah, good what shit. A what a movie. Good shit. And, uh, and that, uh, that links to a little secret something that uh, Alan and I were doing last week. But uh, more on that another time. Um, we just we just like winding patty up at this point. Is that <laughs> but uh, they're actually saying there's they're saying that that um, there's good indications that Blade will take uh, will take the, a, a slot in October 2022, mm -hmm. uh, and depending on where Ant Man and the Wasp falls, uh, potentially that could mean that could mean uh, six new Marvel movies releasing in 2022 alone. Yeah, we're just making up for Bring the lack on. of them in 2020, mm -hmm. I think. And then, of course, the final uh, one that you alluded to, Keith, of course, was showing off the logo for Fantastic Four, but also mm -hmm. announcing John Watts as the director. What were your thoughts That's on right. that? So Spider-Man Homecoming director, what were your, what were your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I mean, Fantastic Four should be lighter-hearted, should be family-oriented, should be around the family. So, I mean, I I had I had no issues with the tone. Of, I mean, Fantastic Four is a very different movie from Spider Man, a uh, very different movie, and uh, so I have no issues with with John Watts as tonally as the director and and with regard to being able to, to manage a story. Because at the end of the day, although Homecoming was a Spider Man movie, there was an ensemble cast there with all the other classmates. You know what I mean? There were so I've, I've got no issue at all. What I'm really interested in is how they're going to do it. You know. Kevin Feige was very, very clear to give Fantastic Four their 
their designation as Marvel's first family. You know, they were the first family of superheroes. So, you know, how how do they how do they make Fantastic Four the first family of superheroes whenever, you know, we've we've had the entire Infinity Saga. You know, uh, is there is there going to be some sort of, you know, have have they disappeared, been forgotten? You know, having 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 debuted early, like in the sixties. You know, have they have they have they disappeared into the negative zone and and and, and are coming back? You know, or I, I just don't know. I don't know what. Or a family from an, from another multiverse, maybe. I think that's how they all sneak in. You know, the Fantastic Four, X Men, because you said you've a lot of explaining to do. You know, where's everybody been during this Infinity Saga? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that's my this... guess on it. My, my uneducated guess. No, I mean, I think you could be right, and and could it be that that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness has something to do with all of this? You know, or Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania? You know, the Quantum Realm is that? You know, so there's. I thought they will find a way. They will find a way. Um, Can you imagine if there was like a wee secret Easter egg in Ant Man Two when you know they were going into the quantum realm? That like there was a wee background detail that we never noticed, but you could see like the shadow of four people in the background or something like that. I was actually the director did say there was an Easter egg. I believe it was very similar to James Gunn. Do you remember James Gunn said nobody ever figured out the Easter egg in Volume One, and if anybody ever got it, he would he would worship them and. I remember reading at the time there was the director came out and said to keep a close eye when they're in that that quantum zone because there was one or two Easter eggs. I don't know if anybody ever ever discovered them. Sounds like a rewatch of Ant Man the Wasp is needed again. <laughs> again, <laughs> any, any excuse, <laughs> any excuse indeed. So, yeah, so tons to look forward to there, tons to unpack, and even though they gave us loads of information, they also gave us very little information on other things so they've they played their hand brilliantly here i have to say i think it was easily the highlight of that whole disney show i i genuinely wonder where disney would be as a company right now if they did not have marvel because that is just the gift that keeps on giving but that's because it's treated with care and respect and planning and you know and, and fege let's be honest he's probably he's been pretty much left to his own devices it's just a case of you've proven you can make this work just let us know what you need sort of thing so Lot yeah, of no, absolutely. So, so good. I mean, it's, it's sort of how I feel about the thing. You know, the, Disney have sort of, I he's been given his own corner. He has proven himself to us as fans. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? As as and, and super fans in some case. You know that 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 he's he's not sticking to the source material, but but translating the source material to a different medium. You know what I mean? In a way that is is faithful and also surprising and also exciting, you know, and it's all about, it's all about the characters and it's all about the casting. You know, the casting has been phenomenal, phenomenal. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's got my, he's got my vote. So I was just able to sit back and enjoy that and go, this could be awesome. The the funny thing about that was that, you know, uh, I think it was Tommy had put it in our group chat saying like, Oh, this is on now for anybody who wants to watch it. And everyone was like, yeah, whatever. Don't care. And then I started looking at Twitter rather than watching. I was looking at Twitter at the announcements. And I was like, holy moly, they're announcing a lot of stuff here. So then I decided to start watching it. But of course, I started watching it when it was all the Disney crap, um, all the live action to animation and animation to live action. But then it was a case of, well, I'm all in now. I have to watch the Marvel part, surely. So uh, it was worth staying up to half 12 for, I have to say. So Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, so thanks for the thanks for the heads up there, Tommy, um, <laughs> for sure um but yeah just very quickly just one or two other wee 
bits and pieces of color eye and and certainly something in stark contrast to that that does seem like a very clear defined plan disney have and marvel have of course it's dependent on the world regaining some sort of normality in the next six months uh their first movie due of course is in may with black widow Warner Brothers uh, decided to go the other way and they're obviously releasing Wonder Woman in the States on HBO Max the same day as cinema. We've chatted about it before. We're lucky we're getting it actually a week earlier over here and we can go to the cinema and see it. But there's been a, a few top-level filmmakers that have not been happy, to say the least, this week. It was, yeah. it was some interesting reading. I mean, when you've got probably two of the best directors in Hollywood ripping Warner Brothers a new one within the space of a day, it's uh, it's definitely a company that seems like to be in a wee bit of trouble. Don't be surprised if Disney buys them in the next five years. Mm. But uh, yeah, Christopher Nolan, he came out and he, he said, some of our industry's biggest filmmakers, the most important movie stars, went to bed last night thinking they were working for the greatest movie studio and woke up to find they were working for the worst streaming service. Warner Brothers had an incredible machine for getting a filmmaker's workout everywhere, both in theatres and in the home, and they are dismantling it as we speak. They don't even understand what they're losing. Their decision makes no economic sense, and even the most casual Wall Street investor can see the difference between disruption and dysfunction. And we thought that was as bad as it was going to be, but then, <laughs> then, oh, <wow. laughs> then Dennis Villeneuve came out, the director of the upcoming Dune adaptation, and he put out a massive long statement. Wow. You know, if I if I had to just pick out one thing, it would be this, and it was streaming services are a positive and powerful addition to the movie and TV ecosystems, but I want the audience to understand that streaming alone can't sustain the film industry. Streaming can produce great content, but not movies of Dune's scope and scale. Warner Brothers' decision means Dune won't have the chance to perform financially in order to be viable, and piracy will ultimately triumph. Warner Brothers might just have killed the Dune franchise. Yeah... I think when Christopher uh, Nolan came out, you know, everybody was expecting Christopher Nolan to come out, but for a director of one of the movies that's going straight to HBO Max to come out, took me by surprise. You know, that was, and the point he made there, the winner's piracy. And then secondly, you know, how are you going to gauge, you know, sequels are made on the money they make at a box office. You know, sequels aren't made on a 9.8 IMDb score. It's, it's sequels are made on the money it makes at a box office. And if you're taking away the box office, where's the financial incentive for a studio to back a sequel? Well, I mean, you're you're exactly right. I mean, that that's the trick. What he what he said just to just to further. I mean, I thought I read uh, uh, Denny Villeneuve's statement in Variety actually, and he had said that uh, you know, in learning the news that Warner Brothers has decided to release June on HBO Max at the same time as our theatrical release, using prominent images from our movie to promote their streaming service. With this decision, AT&T has hijacked one of the most respectable and important studios in film history. There is absolutely no love for cinema, nor the audience here. It's all about the survival of a telecom mammoth, one that is currently bearing an astronomical debt of more than $150 billion. Therefore, even though Dune is about cinema and audiences, AT&T is about its own survival on Wall Street. With HBO Max's launch a failure thus far, AT&T decided to sacrifice Warner Brothers' entire 2021 slate in a desperate attempt to grab the audience. This is damning. Whatever I, I was just like, well, you know, I don't know. Is this going to put? Is this going to start putting pressure on? Yeah, I mean, this. I can see both sides of the argument to a degree. I was chatting about someone in store about it today. I mean, we've talked about it before. I love cinema. I love the experience of cinema, but the the. Grim reality of it is certainly with the world being the way it is right now, 
you know movies aren't really being given a chance to to make money and to get out there and have that theatrical experience so i don't know i i do worry i sound like an old man on a soapbox as well when i say is this done with the next generation in mind as well because let's be honest they're all into streaming they're all into looking at their mobile while, with their feet up at home while they watch tv in the background you know i always think of back to the future too where marty mcfly jr comes home and he turns on the tv and watches six channels at once because they've mm-hmm. no attention span and i almost wonder now if people just can't like again oh my god i sound so old manny today but i don't care i'm gonna do it anyway you I go, agree 100%. You know, you go to the cinema and kids are sitting on their phones or they're talking through movies. There's no respect for the theatrical model in a way. And if that's the next generation, people are... These movie studios are more interested in getting these kids to sign up for their streaming services than to get them to pay for a one-off ticket at the cinema. So I don't think there's a right answer here. But what I would say about the Warner Brothers decision is they very quickly decided that all their talent worked for them didn't consult any of them on this didn't have a meeting about it didn't garner opinion they just basically at the top level went yeah we're putting all these movies on hbo max and they don't even have the rights to do it either because dune is 75 percent funded by legendary pictures and they're now threatening to take warner brothers to court with an injunction to stop them putting it on hbo max so it's an absolute mess you know, you, you know, we just talked about Disney there and Marvel and, you know, how perfectly it's all set up and this is going to lead into this and we've got the best actors and the best directors and everybody's happy and we have a clear plan. And then you look at this and you're just like, what the hell? You know what I mean? <laughs> so, and I mean, I think that, that adds importance to the statement that, I mean, Marvel didn't make it, you know, Feige didn't make it, it well, maybe did make it specifically, but that, but that Black Widow would be remaining as a cinema release you know so that was that was comforting hopefully hopefully that mediate holds if it doesn't what happens i don't know do they they move the whole slate or anyway probably enough said that's it but the one thing i would say just to finish off on it though is that the biggest mistake warner brothers is making here is that hbo max is only available in america hbo max is not available worldwide disney plus is available worldwide netflix is available worldwide amazon prime is available worldwide so they're, they're talking about all these movies, but for example, with Wonder Woman, if it wasn't coming out in the cinema over here, how would we get to see it? Which therefore leads to piracy, you know? So mm-hmm. it's they've shot themselves in the foot in a lot of different ways, and it, it frustrates me because obviously as a DC fan, these are the guys in charge of all those DC properties, and you, you sort of worry about the future, but... We're going to finish off the wee sm- the news section just with a very, very quick feel-good story instead, and that was the awesome premiere of the trailer for Season 3 of Cobra Kai. This looks fantastic. <laughs> Why did it take me so long to get to this show? I blame you, Keith. You didn't push me hard enough. I didn't push you hard enough, no? Okay. <laughs> and I, in return, Alan, I blame you because I didn't start watching it until you started singing its praises, and then, yeah, I absolutely loved it. Some of it's ridiculous, you know, Guys are doing karate for a week and they're they're winning tournaments, you know. But yeah, the character development in it is, is second to none. You know, you, you remember starting off, Hawk was you felt so sorry for him, and then by the end of season two, he's just an absolute scumbag. You know, you <laughs> you went from legging him to despising him in the space of two seasons. Fantastic show. You're being nicer to Hawk there than Keith was. He basically said, if there's one of those kids that's going to become a serial killer, it's him. <laughs> so, but yeah, great season three trailer, I thought. Just great 80s music. I mean, I, I know Keith is the same as myself. We don't really like to watch trailers for stuff that we're all in on anyway. But 
I just I knew that the trailer would be cut like an eighties movie. You know what I mean? I and I know they're very careful with that property, and I knew they'd do a really good job with it. But yeah, the idea of the of Johnny and Danny just teaming up, you know, to take down Crease, fantastic. So yeah, I mean, it's uh, there were some great moments in it. You know, to me, the the as a a fan of the original movies, the the two big revelations were that season three is bringing back uh, Kimiko and Chosen, uh, who are two characters from Karate Kid Part Two, uh, and uh, so that that was that was nice to see. So they're obviously uh, referencing that. Uh, Kumiko was Daniel's girlfriend in Karate Kid Part Two. She was the niece of uh, an old flame of Mr. Miyagi's. I think whenever Miyagi left for America. You know, he he learned that 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 his old flame was to marry his best friend Seto, who ended up being his his mortal enemy and and Karate Kid too. You know, and uh, we learn that in Karate Kid Three that Daniel urged Kumiko to stay in Japan to pursue her dream job as a as a, a, a Tokyo ballet dancer. So she'll be back, and uh, you know whatever what's going to happen there. You know, will it help Daniel re- re- reconnect with his Miyagi Do roots? You know, and and all of that. But then chosen. Uh, Chosen was the villain of uh, Karate Kid 2. Uh, he was the nephew of Miyagi's uh, Miyagi's uh, rival, Seto. And uh, Chosen and Seto were threatening Daniel and, and Miyagi. And Karate Kid Part 2 ends in a fight to the death between Daniel and Chosen, uh, with Daniel ending up, you know, showing showing mercy. So this will be really interesting. This will be really interesting. Uh out of interest with Craddy Kid too, was Danny still together with Ali, or had they broken up? Uh, I can't remember how they how they did it. I think they had I think they had broken up, or, or I don't know. I'm not sure. Teenagers, sure. <laughs> One way to do it. Well, that's true. But I just want to see Ali back in Cobra Kai because they obviously finished off at the end of season two, where she had accepted Johnny's friend request and sent them a little message saying, "How are you?" But anyway, 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 that's a, right. that's a good forty-five minutes of covering Marvel. So I'd like to think that Keith very comprehensively covered the uh, the Marvel stuff there. But yeah, just tons to look forward to. So it's it's easy to get excited about it and just chat away. But we're going to move away from that. And we're going to move on to our usual, uh, our regularly scheduled programming, if you will, and on to our comic picks of the week. So. As ever, we, we always break it down, how many titles we had, how many were DC, how many, how many were Marvel, what were indie, etc. So for me this week, I had a pretty big week. I had 32 titles in total. Woof. Yeah, that was, well, technically I had 50, uh, 49 t- titles, but we'll get on to that in a second, because uh, I have a problem. So 32 titles total, uh, 10 DC, I had 7 Marvel and 15 indie, one of which was a graphic novel. And for those who are interested, I had 17 variants. But let's move on from that. And um, what were your numbers, Paddy? Uh, I had zero variants. Uh, I did have 12 titles in total, one DC, five Marvel, and six indie. Nice. And then yourself, Keith? I had a very unbalanced week. In fact, as, as unbalanced as I have I have been in, in many, a, many a week. 23 titles total. Only two of them were DC. 13 of them were Marvel and 8 were indie. I know. For those who can't see right now, I'm shaking my head in disgust. Mm-hmm. You know, he's usually much more of a down the middle kind of guy, but that's just the way the, the release schedules fell this week. But we did talk him into an extra DC one at the last minute. So, uh, uh, yes, uh, so 24 titles, three <laughs> of them were DC. Yeah. And, uh, it was a pretty good one we talked him into as well, which we're going to get on to now because it's time for our picks of the week. So, for me, I. And before we start, 
picks of the week review show spoiler filled spoiler filled indeed actually it's probably a good thing you know there's going to be a time where i actually remember to do that myself straight away but that <laughs> time was not today so i got you you got me so yeah we're going to move on to our picks of the week so for me uh my pick this week was a title that had one two three four five six seven eight nine writers on and one two three four five six seven artists on so for me my pick of the week was dark knight's death metal the last stories of the dc universe number one and i know keith loves a good long title when it comes to dark knight's death metal so as i said this is so this is the latest in the dc tie-ins for death metal so the writers involved were Joshua Williamson, James Tinney in the fourth, Scott Snyder, Jeff Lemire, Mariko Tamaki, Gail Simone, Christopher Sabella, Cecil Castellucci, and Mark Wade writing for DC for the first time, I think, in over a decade. Art-wise, we had Travis Moore, Raphael Albuquerque, Daniel Samper, Megan Hetrick, Christopher Muniham, Mirka Andolfo, and Francis Manipul, and then a cover by Tula Lute. So, Death Metal, I think, it's certainly been a hit and miss event, even for me as a died-in-the-wool DC fan. You know, when it's been good, it's been great. You know, Multiverses End, Speed Metal, Trinity Crisis, Infinite or Extreme. But there's also been tie-ins that have felt like the very definition of filler. You know, things like Multiverse Who Laughs, Rise of the New God. But the last stories of the DC Universe, for me, it's an absolute triumph. It's the book that every event title should aim to be for the fans. For anyone who's a fan of the Teen Titans, their illustrious history, their many incarnations, this is a love letter to you. For anyone who's a fan of Mark Wade's take on Superman, all hope, con country bumpkin and optimist for the future, this is a love letter to you. For everyone who wants to see the resolution for Nightwing and Batgirl, this is a love letter to you. And that's even before we get the Gail Simone's Green Arrow and Black Canary story. Essentially, all of these stories uh, contained, they're set the day before the DC Universe as we know it could end. This is the last night these characters have before their world ends. There are no time for regrets, for things being left unsaid, for missing this opportunity to forgive, for having those that mean the most to you in the world to be close to you. It's, it's last order's time here, so best to bear your soul and leave it all in the line. It is as you'd expect the calm before the inevitable storm. Now, the reason I was able to talk Keith into this, first of all, is because what bookends this title is a Teen Titans story. This was written by three different guys. So you had Snyder, Tinian, and Williamson. And Travis Moore on art. And um, for me, this is one of the best short stories of this or any other year. It takes the form of a Titans beach party. And if you've ever been a Titan, then you're invited. If you've been a member of the Titans, it will inevitably have been from a young age. And then suddenly the weight of the world has been thrust upon your young shoulders. This is an opportunity to do what was taken away from them by that responsibility. To hang out with your friends and relax. Everyone from every era is here, some of which are even represented in really class art inserts lifted straight from the Golden Age. First part of the story ends with Wally showing up, and Donna Troy looks none too happy. Pretty understandable given the recent events in the DC Universe involving Wally. So that basically takes a little break there, and we then move into the other stories. You jump in, first of all, to a great Green Lantern story. So it's a Hal Jordan story by Jeff Lemire and Raphael Albuquerque. As well as being absolutely gorgeous, tells the story and delves into Hal's regrets, his father issues, and his relationship with Sinestro. The themes of forgiveness and broken bonds being reforged here are explored to great effect. Then you have a Wonder Woman tale focusing on a dark night. See what I did there? Of the soul for Diana. She questions why the Batman who laughs still lives and has been able to evolve given that she cut him in half. She questions herself whether she's truly ready to fight for a future that has very little chance of existing beyond the next day. 
But as always, with Diana, there is hope. Another standout after that is Gail Simone and Megan Hetrick's Dust of a Distant Storm. Talk about encapsulating decades worth of thoughts and feelings between Green Arrow and Black Canary in the 10 pages. We're even introduced to a, a daughter of theirs of, of sorts from one of the destroyed Earths who wants to fight alongside her parents. You know, she is essentially is a hopeful symbol of what the future could hold for the two of them, could they, should they survive this. There's even time for a new cool oath to be created for them to say before going into battle. Athena's always been a little jealous of the Green Lantern's oath. Then we come on to the second reason I knew Keith would enjoy this book. We get the Cecil Castellucci Mirka Andolfo's Bat Family Tale. Get this creative team onto a Bat book post-Future State. <laughs> this was a beautiful looking tale as Bruce calls around the entire Bat family for one last pep talk. He thinks about what they all mean to him and how they're the ones who saved him. And he returns that part of the favour by marrying Batgirl and Nightwing. Even if, quote, it doesn't stand if we live. This story really hit the emotional sweet spot and again provided hope before their darkest battle. But then we have the absolutely triumphant return of Mark Wade to Superman. Arguably one of Superman's best ever writers, it really has been too long. With Francis Manipal providing exquisite art, this is a story about what every single Superman story should be about. Hope. It's essentially a story of how Superman is able to overcome his one weakness, his inability to be everywhere at once. The entire story just had me smiling the whole way through it. The artwork, the message, the dialogue, everything about it was perfect. And then the best way to finish this entire book, Donna forgives Wally and gives him the warmest of embraces. Forgiveness, togetherness, a united front to face evil. Perfect end to this book and it has me so hyped for Death Metal 6, which to be honest, I've enjoyed Metal, but I was feeling a little bit of burnout and this has just really rehyped me for it. And then that last page of art with the Titans all sprinting to action. <laughs> all in, just absolutely brilliant and a timely reminder of how strong the DC Universe can be when creators are firing on all cylinders. Absolutely essential. I got Keith to come and get it today. I don't know if he'll have quite the same strong reaction as I did, but hopefully you enjoyed it at the very least. Oh no! I, I mean, I have to say, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I I love the I love the Titans, my my favorite uh, DC team, um, and I mean Joshua Williamson involved in that particular in the, in the vignettes. You know, at either end uh, was 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 really fantastic. So it was lovely to see uh, Donna Troy again. Uh, it's been I mean, it's been a while since it's been a been a wee while since there's been a Titans book, and you know the 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 last incarnation of the Titans book was good, but it, wasn't my titans you know it wasn't it wasn't troy and wally and cyborg and and and, and dick you know and, and and that so so seeing all of those characters uh was just was just fantastic so i love the way they i love the way they bookended this um and you know and, and the different the different incarnations of the titans you know once a titan always a titan whether that's a, a titan or a teen titan um was was really fantastic, and then the the wee vignettes were were kind of cool. Um, in fact, even in that in that initial uh, in that initial uh, bookend, you know, you see the 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 newer version of Gar and the older version of him from the from the Teen Titans, and you see inset pictures of of Wally and Speedy and and Wonder Girl and Ro you know Robin and and all of that. So it's just really nice. I enjoyed the Green Lantern story as well, the Jeff Lemire story. Uh, you know, everybody's going into this, and you know, it's the night before the battle, the night before they go to war, the night before they know that all of them aren't going to survive. So, you know, Hal just giving Sinestro that chance to be a Green Lantern again, 
uh, was lovely. Uh, it was very nice. Uh, but I did love the I did love the the Batman story, the Bat family story, um, particularly because of the inclusion of Nightwing. And I was glad to see him back in his own costume, as opposed to the as uh, as someone said earlier, his Dungeons and Dragons costume. That he's been in the Justice League uh, throughout Death Metal. So. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it, Alan. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm glad I, I'm glad I picked it up. Um, thanks to uh, yourself and Stephen for the persuasion, and as you say, uh, Mark Wade on Superman, fantastic, great. I mean, that story where he, he uses a a watch he's designed, a, a time machine he's designed to go back in time for an hour multiple times. So the world has the world has loads of loads of Superman doing just great, hope, hopeful things. Uh, you know, for the people, uh, while while Clark decides what he needs to say to his family on the eve of the eve of potentially losing them, um, yeah, it was a great book, great book. Yeah, it was a great story. The the Mark Wade one, just the amount of things he sort of accomplishes. It's not all you know, saving the world and all that kind of stuff. You know, in one of them, he's just surviving someone who's standing over a ledge, obviously thinking of you know ending it all. And another, it's just a wordless scene where he's hugging Kara and you know reassuring her that everything's going to be okay. Mm. And then even just at the end, where he you know takes flight with his you know wife and now more grown up son, shall we say? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then yeah, that book and just that that forgiving of Wally was just was fantastic i thought so getting all choked up here just talking about it (laughs) yeah i thought it was it's it's sort of delivered on the promise of what rebirth was you know when it first started you know and wally being the hope for this universe and yeah just it, it gave me chills the whole way through it and again i i went into this slightly trepidatious i didn't the metal tie-ins to me, some of them have been really taken or leaving. Some of them have been, I've read it, enjoyed it, and then forgotten about it five minutes later. But this this just left a great impression. I think it's just a really great one-shot in general about what would these heroes get up to on their evening before potential Armageddon. Mm-hmm. So um, what about yourself, Paddy? Did you get a read of this? Uh, I did. I read it, I think, yesterday or the day before. I thought it was all right. Uh, I thought this, the middle part of the book, just it just didn't grab me at all, starting from Wonder Woman. Uh, the Green Arrow story and the Aquaman story just didn't enjoy it. It just the Green Lantern story was the standout for me. Uh, two characters I know very little about, but I could kind of tell what was going on. You know, I've seen the film, so I knew that he was a villain. Giving him one more go, the Batman, as you said, was brilliant. Superman was was fantastic. Bit of a plot hole, maybe that if he's a watch that can go back in time an hour, why not go back maybe a bit further and try and stop some of the events that have already happened. Because he I think o- it's too big. He could only go back an hour. That was the thing. He could only stabilize it for an hour. Ah. There we go. Yeah, no, but it was. It was a good it's 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 not been my favourite of the the death metal tie-ins. I don't think there's been a bad one. There hasn't been one where I've put it down and went, Oh, that was terrible. Uh, I've kind of enjoyed enjoyed them all. Sometimes it takes me a page or two to to remember what's going on. But I think this deserves a, a special shout out for not having the really ridiculous Snickers advert in it. Yeah. <laughs> Not once did it appear. Maybe that's why I thought it just read so well. It was just, uh, it was very low on ads. So, you know, because it was essentially, it was, you know, the equivalent of like a hundred page giant, you know, so it's, uh, it's, I suppose it's understandable to that degree. But yeah, just, I, I have to say, I absolutely adored it and read it three times. Now I have, of all the death metal tie-ins I would go back to, this would be top of the pile for me. So, um, just really heartfelt, really great reminder what DC can be if they just give good creators these characters. 
and I would love to see some of these teams continue on, as I say. But you know, well, we shall see. So yeah, um, I'm glad. I'm glad you know what I like, Alan, uh, because I mean I haven't subscribed to the one shots generally, the tie-ins generally, mm. because I've been like, oh, there's a lot of them, and they're not necessarily as connected as maybe they should be or could be. Yeah, you know. So I'm always glad whenever you sort of go, yeah, I think this is one that's worth spending your money on you know um this is one i think you'll like so uh so i do appreciate that whenever i can get a hold of them obviously no, it's a pleasure. Know, because because uh taking the risk of uh of not putting something on one's pull list is never a good thing <laughs> well my favorite moment was you picking it up today and bruna happened to be with you and you know you looked at him and went oh it's a big boy and bruna was like do you think he'll get that all read before he's record later? And I was like, come on, please. <laughs> please. Anyway, yeah, as I say, guys, check it out. If you've any, even the, a passing interest in metal at all, even if you're just collecting the main series, if there was one I could personally recommend, it would be this one, uh, along with actually Speed Metal, which was awesome as well. Speed Metal was fantastic. So, yeah, that was my pick of this week, which was Dark Knight's Death Metal, The Last Stories of the DC Universe, number one. Go ahead, give us a number two. Um... But speaking of number twos, I believe we now have your pick of the week up next. Paddy, what have you got for us? We do indeed. I know number one was some, Alan, I think your pick of the week. I went for Scurrant Hood, number two, by Nick Roche and Chris O'Halloran. We all enjoyed issue one. I think issue two takes it up a notch, which I didn't expect at all. Uh, Kind of follows on the misadventures of Cormac, Sinead, Jen, and character of the year for me, Felino. Uh, starts with Cormac dropping his kid to school. Uh, he notices that the stage room is still boarded shut. Here's a bit of a rumbling noise and the paranoia kicks. And I think paranoia is, is a big theme through this this issue. Uh, he opens a wardrobe and out falls a really, really creepy CPR doll of a child. It falls on top of him. He kind of freaks out. And luckily enough, his, his child, his daughter's there, they're late in the mood. Uh then we kind of cut to a meeting of Flino, Sinead and Jen. Flino's kind of, I think this will make you laugh, Keith. You know that the Ireland magazine? Yes. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. He, he's going on a rant basically saying that it's a conspiracy magazine that they're giving <laughs> out because you never see it for sale anywhere, which is so true. And I haven't seen that magazine maybe in 10, 15 years, but <laughs> I always remember seeing it, but never seeing it for sale anywhere. Uh, and then he comes off with what I think is probably my my favourite line this year from comics is he lets slip that he, he nicknames his kid Chernobyl. And the girl kind of goes, why do you call him that? And he goes, uh, just because he was an accident and he's slowly killing us off. <laughs> you know, the, the humour in this issue is it's kind of second to none. It's absolutely brilliant. There's a line they're talking about WhatsApp and she's saying, I'm going to WhatsApp you and I want to see them them." two ticks go blue, you know, when you've got a, a red message. Mm-hmm. And Flino just turns around and goes, it's not just his ticks she's after. <laughs> but yeah, I, I kind of don't want to go into too much detail on this because I don't want to spoil it for anybody that, that hasn't read it, but you really start to see the wheels come off for Cormac, some emotional state. Uh, he he kind of snaps twice. He snaps at the group and then very, very aggressively snaps at his daughter in a, a scene set in the forest. Uh, from there, they kind of have a, a bit of a, an adventure into the woods and have a bit of a, a mishap with a with a friendly dog. Uh, and then it kind of changes pace. Flynn has a bit of a an emotional heart-to-heart with his mom. They find a picture of Flynn's brother when they're in the library. 
and he kind of gives it to, to, to his mum, you know, she doesn't want to talk about it. She's obviously lost a child, you know, it's probably the worst thing a parent can go through. And, and kind of from there, she, you know, takes the picture off him and just kind of slides it in the drawer. And he says, oh, mum, you know, just a, a really hard-hitting, hard-hitting scene. You know, without getting into too much detail, I kind of lost my sister about two years ago and just having to see what my mum's went through, you know, it, it kind of hit home a wee bit for me. Uh, but then on the next scene, I'm laughing because on the the bath on the sorry the kitchen wall, there's a picture of three people: Jesus, the Pope, and Padre Pio. Uh, <laughs> anybody that's ever been in anybody any Irish grandmother's house, there will be four pictures. The only one that was missing was JFK, which for some reason any granny's house I've ever been in has had a picture of Padre Pio, the Pope, Jesus, and JFK. <laughs> And yeah, the, the the end, the way this issue ends is absolutely fantastic. It 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 just sets up more questions, and I'm so glad there's not a long wait. I think issue three is out next week. Yeah, I think we're uh, getting one more issue out before Christmas. Yeah, it, honestly, it's uh, I don't want to spoil too much for you, Keith. I'll leave them in the store for you tomorrow. But they yeah, are lovely, very decent of you. It's brilliant. It it is. It's Flino is just that character that's. It's, it's, he's just an Irish man, you know. It's just, it it, it is brilliant. I, I'm not going to say too much more about it. I know Keith is reading it, but yeah, for me so far, it's 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 up there with Department of Truth, and we all know how much I how highly I speak of that ish title. But yeah, this current is fantastic. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, up there with Department of Truth, very very different title. Uh... Again, as you say, it really toes the line brilliantly between comedy and horror. You know, I, I tend to do a lot of my reading in bed. And I was just sitting, reading this last night, and Vicky's, you know, sitting beside me. And just every sort of 30 seconds to 45 minutes, or, or 45 seconds, or there'd be like a wee snigger just coming out. And you always, you know, get that look when you're laughing at something and someone's not sure what you're laughing at. And I must have done it about seven or eight times through this book. But, yeah, you really feel the... What I think is really, really cool about it is, you know, despite all the supernatural stuff and everything else, it really shows how hard it is to be a single parent. You know, he's trying to balance a job. He's trying to balance picking his kid up. He's trying to keep her entertained, but he's trying to discipline her, but he's trying to take her on adventures, but then he's blaming her if things go wrong. You know, there's a really lovely little scene towards the end where, you know, it's, it's not really massively spoilery, so I'll, I'll just chat about it, but, you know, the, the daughter's talking about how she's been seeing this, this you know, the big boy, this new imaginary friend she's made. And obviously the dad's scared out of his wits because of the supernatural element. And he's like, look, draw me a picture of your new friend. I want you to draw the big boy, please. And she draws and she goes, okay, okay, finish the daddy. And then she shows him a picture and goes, here you go, daddy. I drew a picture of me doing a fart on a Christmas tree. And the two of <laughs> them just, you know, burst into fits of laughter. And it's this really nice moment. And yeah just a cracking book love the art i love the premium feel of it as well you know it's it's on an almost cardstock cover it's this thicker paper um the colors really pop it's just a really class little sleeper hit i think is yeah probably the, the way to, to touch on to touch on that art as well kind of when i when i think of a comic art this is what i picture mm-hmm. you know uh, i know some some issues are very different you know department of truth and it, it's almost like every art style is different but if somebody just said to me 12 months ago buddy comic art i this is what i pictured you know this sort of mm-hmm. this sort of but did you see the picture at the end then that the kid actually drew of the yeah. big boy yeah yeah, yeah it, it's just and the whole thing with his wife as well it's just a storyline that part of me thinks 
and I, there's nothing to base this up. I think it's a twist that may be coming, but the characters that were already in the village, part of me thinks that there could be some sort of sacrifice thing going on here. Mm -hmm. Just to go back to issue one, the way they, you know, oh, go on, you haven't got the guts to get under there. You know, you haven't got what it takes. Yeah. So part of me thinks maybe that's going on, but yeah, but it's, I, I can't wait for issue three. Yeah, highly, highly recommended. I'm pretty sure we've got copies of issue one and issue two still in stores, so I'm trying to keep on top of that and keep some first prints in in case anybody comes to it late. So, yeah, great choice. Uh, Scarentude number two. So that is myself and Paddy done. Now just yourself to finish off, Keith. What was your pick of the week from this week? Uh, so my pick of the week is swinging around towards Marvel. Uh, so it is. And I had a fairly, you know, although it was a bit of an odd week, uh, had a fairly uh, my the top of my list, you know, before we before we came on air, I was sort of going, "Oh, there's a bunch of," but they were all Marvel. So for me, it was a strong a strong Marvel week this week for sure. But the the book that uh, the book that I've chosen in the end up uh, is the first issue of Sword S W O R D by Al Ewing and uh, Valerio uh, Valerio Shitti, uh, the Italian artist. So Al Ewing's writing. Uh, Valerio Shidi's illustration, colours by Marty Garcia and lettered by uh, Ariana Meyer. So this uh, sort of follows the the events of uh, Ten of Swords and Empire. So obviously Empire being the big Marvel crossover of the summer. Uh, was it the summer by the time it came around? I can't remember. And Ten of Swords, which is just recently finished, is the big X family crossover. Um, so what Ewing does is he, he, he marvelously, obviously he was he was behind Empire. And he, he, he marries together, you know, I guess the uh, the impacts of these two of these two events uh, into into this book where we see Abigail Brand uh, launching a, a new iteration of uh, the sentient word observation and response division that's sword. But this time she's launching it on behalf of Mutant Now, Sword has a particular history within uh, within the Marvel Universe. Where Shield looks after Earthbound things, Sword looks after space. Um, so, Sword is being reinstituted, but this time on behalf of Mutant Kind and uh, on behalf of Krakoa, the nation of Krakoa. So, this first issue has Magneto visiting the Sword base of operations, uh, and he's introduced to the crew as they, I guess, uh, they start their they start their mission. So, um. This is it's part of the family of X books, but this sort of, I guess you know where where Excalibur uh, has been uh, high fantasy, and X Force has been sort of special ops, you know black ops. Sword is is going down the hard sci fi route, so we're, we've got another another uh, you know notch in the belt here for uh, for for Hickman and the uh, and the X universe. So this is really fantastic. But what he's doing. What he's doing here is, or what they're doing here, sorry, is they're nearly marrying X Men with Star Trek. So they've set up this new version of Sword. It's a, it's a six-sectioned operation, and in uh, in true in the, in the format and the style that we've become accustomed to from Hickman, we've got a double-page spread of uh, of text and diagram, uh, you know, which we <laughs> which we, we've become accustomed to. Uh, so we've got the six sections of of Sword. We've got. Uh, Cable taking charge of security. Uh, we've got Manifold taking taking 
charge of, of logistics and transportation. We've got Fabian Cortez taking charge of energy resources. Uh, Frenzy taking part charge of diplomacy and negotiation. Uh, as I say, cable in charge of security and uh, an unknown individual in time of, in, in charge of sonic analysis. Uh, and we have Brand as the station commander and, and Magneto as the council representative. Uh, so, I mean, I guess Al Ewing is fairly well accustomed to grand concepts. You know, he, you know, uh, Empire was a bit of a bit of a cosmic level crossover. We've got, you know, he's in, he's on Guardians of the Galaxy at the minute. Uh, you know, so, so yeah, you know, he's really what this is is a it's a it's a setup issue, and and they do it so well. You know, some setup issues really grind, but. Uh, but this this really, I think it does a really good job of setting up setting up uh, another X related concept. Uh, tells you what it is, introduces the characters beautifully, uh, and delivers a very a very satisfying payoff. Um, so Sword is, uh, I guess, Sword is headquartered on the peak. Which uh, did any of you guys read Ten of Swords at all? Nope. No, waiting on the omnibus. Okay, so without giving too much away, uh, the peak was the the former uh, the former platform of, of sword, and it is kind of happily very sword shaped. Um, but the peak was reactivated uh, during uh, during Ten of Swords uh, by by Cable and his parents, and cleared of the infection or whatever it was that was was on it. So whenever we see the peak now, it's say it's this lovely sword shaped space station. Uh, it's now also. Uh, the Krakoan plant technology is embedded on it, so you've got this fantastic space station and all these plants growing on the outside of it in the vacuum of space, uh, which is a really, uh, a really lovely, uh, <laughs> a really lovely graphic. Um, but uh, Magneto arrives, and I, I guess you've got what you've got is this time, as I say, Sora has directly related to Krakoa and Abigail Brand, who was previously in charge of of, of uh, Alpha Flight. And left because of bureaucracy and and so forth and so on and and uh, the superheroes and Captain Marvel and whatnot not telling her what was going on despite the fact she was supposedly the commander of the station and the commander of Alpha Flight has picked up so so Abigail Brand uh, is is handling this very cautiously shall we say and of course Krakoa have sent along Magneto uh, you know who else do you send along to to represent mutant kind so and Magneto you know he's He's all power, you know. Magneto arrives, and you know he is. He's he's conducting this conversation while he's also using his powers over magnetism to uh, conduct this thousand-ton space station into position. You know, while he's you know so again he's demonstrating his power. We see Magneto moving through the station, meeting uh, friends and comrades such as such as Cable, uh, and understanding you know how the station works. Uh, you know, meeting and being escorted around by by Abigail. Uh, we've got Abigail's personal log and gives you a wee bit of an insight into into her history and and what her feelings are now taking command, you know. And uh, we meet we meet Wizkid who is integrating the the plant tech with the original station systems. Uh, we've got a couple of wee conversations, you know, and uh, you know at, at one stage Brand comes in and says, "How's it coming, Takeshi?" And he says such and such, and he says, "My mutant name is Wizkid," and she says, uh, "Sticking with that, uh, are we? Okay." You know, so it's there's some lovely wee exchanges in this. Uh, but in addition to meeting friends, he also runs into former acolytes. So Al Ewing really honours uh, some 
some old school X stuff, you know, some nineties X stuff. At one stage, he runs into Fabian Cortez, who was uh, was effectively Magneto's number one. Whenever uh, you know, around in, in the nineties, whenever the Brotherhood of Mutants was on uh, on Asteroid M and all of that sort of stuff. So, and uh, you know, I guess Magneto makes out like he hardly recognizes. He doesn't know who Cortez was, despite the fact he was one of his. His zealots, one of his acolytes, you know, Magneto's moved on. And then he meets another mutant who we've hardly seen in years, a guy called Peeper, uh, who's an odd-looking sort of a, a guy. Uh, his power is um, he's got omnivision, you know, but uh, Magneto greets him like a, an old, old friend that he hasn't seen in a long time. So, uh, And then it moves on towards, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a mission uh, that, 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 that goes ahead. And uh, I don't know that... Uh, you, we see mutants working together, you know, and we're we're, we're it's it's referencing parts of X stuff, but uh, you know, it finishes with uh, with you know Magneto asking Bran what comes next, and she's like, "This is what comes next," you know. So I'm really I don't know. I'm really excited. I think the way they've introduced this is really smooth, really nice payoff. It really, I think you could probably read it as a standalone book, but. You know, it's really added to by by knowing what's going on here in the in the background. It continues to solidify, you know, the the, the Hawks and Pox story. You know, the the establishment of the, the Krakoan nation, the growing power of it, the growing world power of it. Uh, it, it, it institutes uh, ways that things could potentially rub up against each other. Whether that'll be brand rubbing up against the bureaucracy of Krakoa and how it's governed, and whether that'll be sword rubbing up against shield or rubbing up against alpha flight you know i think there's definitely a possibility there so there's a lot going on here there's a lot of old characters a lot of new characters um i just thought it was i just thought it was fantastic fantastic book is this one of al Yoon's first sojourns into the x-men universe has he done anything before this um obviously he's most well known for immortal hulk certainly at the of moment of course and, we only find them when they're dead in terms of like indie stuff, but I think this, I think this, I think it's his first, his first, uh, yeah, soiree in there, I think, uh, potentially, but, uh, Just I mean, he, he's done a great in, job. He's slots yeah. in seamlessly. He really does. He really does. And I mean, I guess there was some, uh, Empire was a, was a line weight crossover. So, but yeah, really, and I, I can't speak highly enough about, uh, about, uh, Valeria Shiti's art. Uh, I mean, it's just gorgeous. It's it just looks gorgeous. Uh, well known for Guardians of the Galaxy and Spider Man and a variety of bits and pieces. And I love. I mean, I love the the Hickman style inserts. You know, there's inserts about mutant technology and inserts about the peak and inserts about you know how the you know the nearly the Star Trek. Um, and the reason I say it's Star Trek like is because all the divisions have different colors and different colored uniforms, kind of like Star Trek. So. Yeah, I mean, if you like mutants and you like Star Trek, I think this is for you. So basically, they aimed it specifically at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they did. They did. I mean, I would highly recommend picking up picking it up. Um, yeah, I might uh, actually very, very might actually grab it and just um, keep it stored in the background. As I say, I'm holding off for the uh, there's an omnibus coming out for Ten of Swords, so uh, I'm rather looking forward to that because I was enjoying the first few issues, but just. Needs of the customer always outweigh my own personal reading, so uh, I will get to it at some point. But I might actually just and, pick up Swords you know, from the start. I mean, that said, Alan, you know, the, the, there are links to Ten of Swords. As I say, the Summers family sort of reclaim this abandoned space station, the peak in the name of Newton Kind. Mm -hmm. But, you know, other than 
you know, potentially that. I think you could probably go into this without without finishing Ten of Swords or without and without spoiling it either, really at this stage, except possibly No, I think you'd be alright. I think you'd be alright. Okay, fair enough. Well I suppose yeah. that's what any good number one should do. You should be able to jump straight into it. Sometimes previous reading is preferred but not essential, so uh, Marvel are always very good about giving you a little page at the first uh, at the start of a book anyway to to bring you up the speed as well. So, uh, so yeah, I must uh, must grab. I'll maybe add that to my pile for this week. So, uh, cool. So, Sword Number One by Al Yoon and Valerio Shitty from Keith for Pick of the Week. So, mm-hmm. so we always move away from the picks of the week and just jump on to some honourable mentions. Uh, it is interesting that this week, you know, we as ever we break it down into DC, Marvel, and Indie. Keith was obviously saying he had a light DC week this week. I had a few more DC titles, but I'm holding back on... There was a couple of titles came out this week that were part of their Endless Winter event. There was Superman, One Shot, and Flash. But I'm holding back on reading those because I read the first issue of Justice League Endless Winter, and I couldn't tell you a thing about it. So I'm just going to stockpile it up and read it all in one go. So that's why it doesn't feature this week. But... My my one pick that I wanted to throw a bit of love out for was Detective Comics 1032. And one of the reasons I want to throw this out there is that Peter J. Tomasi has been doing some great, great work on Detective Comics. It's really strange with, with Detective Comics itself because it should technically be the flagship Batman title because this is the, you know, the title Batman was introduced in. But it often feels like the ugly stepsister of the main Batman title. You know, it's... It's it's almost like the Batman solo series is held in higher regard, and to be honest, this is just as good as anything Tinian's putting out at the moment. It's dealing with a storyline involving Hush, and involving a way for him to get at Bruce the best way he can, and he's essentially kidnapped all of the Bat family, got them all held down with anesthesia, and he's essentially negotiating with you know black market organ traders to harvest all of their organs because. All these guys are like peak physical condition and, you know, all, all of their, you know, organs are obviously going to be in the best possible condition as a result of that. But at the same time as that, he's been able to do this because Batman's focus is off at the moment because um, Damien has actually broken away from the Bat family ever since Bruce found out about him hiding criminals below Teen Titans headquarters because he said Arkham Asylum was essentially a revolving door. So Bruce's attention is split. He's trying to, you know, track down the crumbs of Damien. Because Damien broke into the Batcave and stole Batman's black case book, which are all the, the cases that Batman has yet to solve. So he's splitting his focus with that, trying to find Damien. In this issue, he does actually catch up with Damien. They're able to put their um, their mutual distaste to the side, shall we say, and go and try and save the rest of the Bat family. But it's just a really, really well-told tale. It's Peter J. Tomasi, you know, industry legend on writing duties. You've also got this great subplot involving a mayoral candidate who has lost an eye recently and Bruce has paid for him to have this this surgery so that he can have a prosthetic eye put in, you know, top of the line and all the rest, but he misinterprets this as Bruce Wayne trying to curry favour with City Hall and be in a politician's pocket and all this kind of stuff. And it's had an artist on it the whole way through as well, Brad Walker. And, you know, his, his stuff's really, really cool. Lots of co- good splash pages, great designs on the characters. And yeah, I just thought it deserved a little bit of love because 1033 is going to be the last uh, issue by these uh, creators as there will be a new team taking over after Future State, which is going to be Mariko Tamaki on writing and admittedly I'm looking forward to Dan Mora on art, Ooh, ah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. which, which does, I, uh... does hit the sweet spot. 
I jumped off Detective um, a while back, um, maybe about 18 months back or whatever it was. I can't remember. I think it was not long after Arkham Knight, wasn't it, Detective 1000? It was. It was. I, uh, it was whenever it stopped being a Bat Family book. Yeah. Um, I thought, I'm already getting a Batman book by Tom King. I don't need another one. Um, you know, and I was really enjoying that, 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 that whole Bat Family oriented side of things, you know. But I think after Future State, I'm going to jump back on it. But, uh, yeah, I see. In the same Keith after Future State, I'm gonna. I've never read it. There's, is it diff, different timeline then, Alan, than the than the Batman story? Well, you know, as as Keith will tell you, DC can play very fast and loose with continuity at times. But you know, he does have the Bat family around him. Um, Damien is not really mentioned an awful lot in Batman, to be honest. Um, as Keith says, Detective Comics should always be more of a family oriented book. It should be. You know what's happening with the Robins, what's happening with Nightwing or Batgirl or that kind of thing. Whereas Batman being a solo title, you can just focus on you know the Dark Knight himself. So, but I've been really, really digging Detective. I'm the opposite of Keith. I actually jumped back on the Detective Comics at one thousand, and then I've stuck with it because I had petered away from it a little bit. But yeah, really strong stuff. And you know, Tomasi, I'm a big fan of his anyway. He did a great run on Batman and Robin in the New Fifty Two, which was thoroughly brilliant. And yeah, just some good old-fashioned Batman, um, Batman action. So can't go wrong. So that was just one title I wanted to throw a bit of love out for. Uh, we will, of course, move on to Marvel then next. A few more titles on here to certainly discuss. Certainly the first one that we have noted down. I'll be honest, wasn't far away from my pick of the week. And uh, we are, of course, talking about Conan the Barbarian. This was number seventeen. This was mm-hmm. the start of a, start of a brand new story arc. Uh, so it was, which is called Curse of the Night Star, A Feast for the Blade. This was really strong. Um, mm. Came off the back of Conan surviving this contest, essentially, where he turned his back on being able to be like a leader for this village, but not before he left with like their most priceless uh, sword possession. And then this sword starts to have a bit of an impact on him. I thought this was great. I know uh, uh, this is... This is co- this is the original Cobra Kai right here, Paddy. This is the original. Keith was telling me for about a year how amazing this was, and I was like, Conan, who cares? And then I read it, and went, yeah, that's why I should care. <laughs> uh, I no, thought no, you were no, say just... full of cheesy eighty music. I would imagine uh, well. an eighties rock soundtrack to this would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, this would be a metal soundtrack for sure. I mean, uh, and uh, give credit where credit's due. Both myself and Roddy were on at you yeah. uh, to pick it up. But yeah, this is originally it was written by Jason Aaron. It's now been written by Jim Zub. Uh, the artist uh, Robert Gill. And yeah, it, it, it is the start of a new arc. It, it closely relates, as you say, to the last arc, the Crucible, you know, and and Conan. And this blade is just yeah. It seems it's, it seems to capture souls and, and it, it wants fed souls and uh, and it's endlessly hungry and. You know, Conan himself is, you know, Conan's not a, a, a do-gooder, so to speak. You know, he is a man of, you know, integrity and so forth, but he's not averse to, you know, just killing a bunch of people. But there's there was loads of imagery in this I thought was very Lord's, Lord of the Ringish, which I was really enjoying as well. There's a great double-page spread, and, you know, if you just look at it in the right light, it just looks like Mount Doom in the background. Mm, I thought that as well. I thought that's, uh, you know, to, to mortar we will take you. Yeah. Um, for sure, and uh, and I think you know that resonates because the sword seems to be setting Conan up as some sort of uh, great dark lord. You know, there's there's definitely ring like connotations to the sword. Yeah. Um, also, I was thinking of the likes of you know Gollum in Lord of the Rings as well, and the effect the ring was having on him. And you know, it's 
you know, so maybe it is slightly derivative of, you know, other stories, but just really well told <laughs> and just <laughs> class looking, you know, great art. If uh, if Gollum was a, a Sumerian barbarian swordsman. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I said echoes of. of. I said yeah. echoes of. <laughs> No, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I think uh, there's so many things that they're doing with Conan, uh, and there's so many things that they can do with Conan. I think this this series has exceeded all all expectations, you know. And some of some of the art in there, some of Gil's art was reminded me in parts a wee bit of Hard Chicken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it was very very good. Fair shout. Even just the cover as well, with the blade going right down the middle, and you can see like a crazed Conan on one side, but like a sort of calm and uh conan on the other and yeah just again i i came to this book so late but i i can't recommend it enough i think marvel's been doing brilliant things with the conan license i haven't read savage sort of i must admit uh maybe that needs to be something to maybe look at a trade perhaps let's see how much it links Ooh. to it but is uh is savage sword gone no it's well i think it is now but it was 12 issues so there was, there was yeah yeah plenty yeah. there to sink your teeth into there so. was there certainly was it was, a, it was a good book and i think jim zub was in it originally yeah and then he did yeah. a good work there and moved across. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was Conan the Barbarian number 17. Uh, next pick up, I know, is something you've been reading and enjoying, Paddy. Yeah, it's, it's, I spoke quite highly of it last week. This is one of the issues where I kind of felt a bit let down by it. I don't know. The story just kind of... So it was, I think it was the art. It's kind of set in a wood. It's dark. The characters all look the same. Uh, so I think for me, that's what... Uh, at the time, I couldn't just get into this issue as much as the previous issues. Uh, but the last panel more than makes up for it. it, it it's worth that last panel alone, uh, which slightly got spoiled for me because uh, a few weeks ago I had seen the cover for issue seven, which you can see in the, the last page of, of this. But yeah, it, it, the, the possible death of a Mm. A, a character, a character yeah. yeah. I mean, it's 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 interesting because it's number six. They've now got you to the point that you know who the characters are, you know, because it is a it is an ensemble cast of uh, of kids, the new the new magicians who are being taught at the uh, at the Strange Academy, uh, which has been uh, put together by Doctor Strange, and it's a teaching faculty made up of uh, of all of uh, Marvel's elder magicians. Uh, so this this sees the kids on their own up against the Hollow. Uh, a seemingly ancient evil uh, in the in the swamps of uh, in the swamps around um, where is it New uh, Orleans New Orleans yeah New Orleans uh, so yeah it was uh, so they've now introduced you're now comfortable enough with the characters that the reveal about Zoe you know and what Zoe really is was interesting and you know you're emotionally attached enough that the possible casualty at the end of the issue resonates with you you know so i think they've i think they're putting this together beautifully it was i mean definitely the issue felt like a very much a direct continuation of of issue five so i can see maybe why you felt that way but i thought it was still a strong issue yeah maybe it's just a case sometimes of when an issue previous is so good it's inevitable you'll be yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. by the following one as well so that's I mean, not if this had that... been if this be sorry if this had been a double size issue patty you probably yeah Yeah, exactly yeah that's it it's it's probably still a really class issue it's just that was inevitably when put beside you know uh the previous issue maybe doesn't stand up quite as strongly so uh but yeah strange academy there a couple of marvel ones for yourself to run off on keith yeah mostly because you guys aren't reading them um (laughs) amazing spider-man number 54 
uh, Nick Spencer, Mark Bagley, Mark Bagley on Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. What else? What else can I say? Lovely cover on this. This was my cover of the week. Uh, there's just this fantastic cover, and we're looking directly at at Spidey's face. It fills up the cover. It's a it's a a Gleason, Patrick Gleason, and uh, Delgado cover. Uh, the colors really pop, but we're looking directly at Spidey's face, and we can see, uh, you know, mirrored in his eyes, we can see New York City, and we can see his hands, you know, flipping out webs. Uh, I just thought that was a great cover. If I could get a print of that cover or like a signed copy of this by Patrick Gleason or Nick Spencer or Mark Bagley, uh, I'd get it. I would get it slabbed for sure. That's that's fantastic. But uh, Last Remains Part Five. Last Remains is making its way through uh, through the from fifty to to fifty five. Now, 49 to 55, um, with, with also the intermittent LR issues. So this is 54, and I think Last Remains finishes in 55. And this was, we had the big reveal at the end of uh, at the end of the last issue as to who Kindred is. And uh, I, I felt pretty good about uh, about making that call correctly some months ago. Uh, but this is this is the issue where, you know, and, and there's a wee bit of a, a wee bit of a formula sometimes, you know, the, the the hero has to get beaten down before he can get back up again, and uh, this is very much the issue where where Spidey gets beaten down. Um, very much the issue, uh, but Mark Bagley makes it look amazing. I've always wanted to ask Keith, what is them dot lr issues? Are, are they why not just carry on the theme of numbers? Uh, because you know, obviously, in, in the past, what they've done is if a title has been released monthly and they're, they're trying to tell a story or a story with two strands, they'll, they'll release it fortnightly. So that's effectively what they're doing. They're, you know, they're, they're releasing extra issues in between, which are telling a different strand of the story. So yeah. the LR issues are following, uh, I guess, the, the, the Spider family. The, so Miles Morales and Spider Woman and Spider Gwen and all that who are together as a, as a society. It's kind of like Whenever they did the hunt, hunted uh, arc uh, back a couple of years ago, they did dot hu issues, yeah, uh, and they followed the villains, uh, you know, and told the story there. Some of them quite poignant stories. So that was a brilliant storyline. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, that's what they're doing here. But uh, Amazing Spider Man is is fantastic, and Bagley is fantastic, and Spencer is great. Um, so yeah, very very good. I'm really looking forward to to seeing this this long running story with Kindred uh, and Senator and Morland's in the in the mix now as well, so just seeing how it wraps up, great stuff. Um, the other uh, the other one that you guys aren't reading that, that, that I think you should be, especially considering it's written by Jason Aaron, Alan, written by Jason Aaron. Uh, We've done this <laughs> dance before. I'm I'm catching up. I'm catching up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, is Avengers number thirty nine? So uh, Jason Aaron and uh, Dale Keown. And this is the pro- prologue to Enter the Phoenix, which is going to be the, the next arc in Avengers. And this is this is harking back to, uh, you know, um, Jason Aaron's concept of Avengers one million years BC. Do you remember back at the at the very beginning? He's yeah, been yeah. he's been shadowing this back all the way when through. It was the Marvel Legacy, one Marvel Legacy one. stuff. Yeah, exactly. So so this is effectively the origin of that of Phoenix of one thousand years B or one million years BC. Um, and that that story and how she was left as a as a child in the in the burnt in the burnt space the burnt uh, the burnt place and uh, you know she was left because she had red hair you know she was different in some way and you know uh, back in those prehistoric times you know I, I don't know um, and she was effectively taken and raised by wolves but she knew she was different and eventually she met other 
mutants, uh, prehistoric mutants, one who is nearly like a prehistoric version of Charles Xavier. Um, not quite, but certainly that concept, you know, as in can't, can't, can't walk, can't move, except whatever, using telekinesis and telepathy. And, uh, you know, going on until until she eventually attracts the Phoenix. It's a very, very good story. Very good story. And I love how he keeps, he just keeps touching in with this, this 1 million BC stuff. Um, but yeah, looking forward to seeing where where Enter the Phoenix goes, the, the infamous firebird of cosmic destruction and rebirth, known as the Phoenix Forces, return to Earth to find a new avatar. But now the Avengers and some of the most powerful players and villains in the Marvel Universe are being called into a competition unlike anything they've ever seen. It's a globe-spanning battle that will transform them all and ultimately decide who will be the all-new Phoenix. I think the good thing about Marvel Unlimited is that, you know, the, the Marvel, I know a lot of people are against digital digital comics and digital reading, I find it's good for, for kind of catching up. So they're usually about, I think it's five issues behind. So I think I had a look at Spider-Man last night and it's not the Lost Remains, Senator. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's got up the Senator. So I'm going to jump on Spider-Man there and I'll give that run of Avengers a go. Sweet, sweet. I did try to read Axeman, House of... Oh, here we go. House of Axe, Powers of Ten. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did they run at the same time? Were they out yeah. issue one, issue one, issue two, issue? That's okay. Not yeah, yeah. not even as simple as that. It sort of went like house one, pars one, house two, pars two, pars three, house three, house four, pars four, pars five, house five, house six, pars six. <laughs> Try and get a reading order then. It sort of went. In. It sort of almost went like an S. So it did, but it was it was a masterclass in releasing, to be honest, because it was over twelve weeks and it was one issue per week. And it just the flow of it was fantastic when it came out. But but yeah, just double check your reading order because it didn't yeah. go one one two two three three four four, mm-hmm. so to speak. And uh, we'll be happy to gauge you in that because it was a great it was a great series, Paddy. But should say, I mean, not necessarily against the concept of digital reading, but very much. Uh, I feel like, you know, I'd much rather give my give my money to my local comic book store rather than uh... <laughs> Alan Waves viciously. Paddy <laughs> Ducks and Hides. <laughs> you know, so, so by all means, you know, catch up and then uh, and then switch over to Amazing Spider-Man. Kind of catching up on Immortal Hulk as well. So whenever I get caught up on that, I'll be throwing it onto the... By the time, the you, by the time you get caught up on that, it'll be over because it's only going to issue 50. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Al Ewing had said he was doing up the issue 50 in Immortal Hulk, but... Uh, no, no, all good, all good. I think you contribute more than enough to the store at this point, Paddy. No, oh, no guilt at all. No guilt at all. Yeah, no, not not my intention <laughs> to shame you, Paddy. It was totally his intention. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was Avengers thirty nine and Spider Man fifty four. I'm um, just going back to Spider Man. This is something I would like to ask your opinion on, Keith. So you said that when the identity of Kindred was revealed, it proved your theory right. As a reader, what's more satisfying: your theory proved right or being surprised? Uh, I was, I'm, I'm, I still am being surprised, despite the fact that, you know, I mean, that, that my guess was right. Uh, but to me, that is, to me, that's, you know, that's kudos to Nick Spencer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because uh, it's all right having a mystery, because of course you can have a mystery. You can have a mystery and not tell anybody, not drop any hints, uh, not tell anybody, and then just drop it. But it, it's more fun if, the books previous have been seeded with hints yeah. that that allow you to make a logical to come to a logical conclusion based on your previous knowledge of a character or of a run or of a of a of a you know of a comic. So so that's credit to Nick Spencer. Obviously, he has dropped 
hints here, there, and everywhere, you know, that have been enough for me to, to go, and, and not just me, many others, I'm quite sure, uh, to go, yeah, well, I know, I know who Kindred is. Uh, so, well, suppose so you, yeah, but you still... Yeah. I suppose you figure out the who, but, you know, you still have to have explained the why. Yes, exactly, the why and the what, you know, and still whenever that last issue, that issue 53, at the end of it, I was like, yes, what? <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> Yeah. Cool. So just another couple of Marvel titles just to throw a quick bit of love out for. Uh, continuing to enjoy the Warhammer 40k series that launched, Marnie's Calgar. So we have mm-hmm. number three this week. So Kieran Gillen continuing to do great work on this along with Jason Burrows on art. Holy moly, this continues to be a brutal, violent title. To say yep. Yeah, it really does. But it's a great story as well. And it's a great introduction to the 40k world. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I know you didn't really have a lot Zero knowledge. You know, I certainly don't have the same sort of knowledge as uh, as uh, other Alan or or Martin. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, but but and and this is is lovely. You know, that it gives the timeline, and uh, I really like the character of Varnius Calgar. I didn't know him at all, and I'm really liking it. You know, and sort of the lessons he's telling the little acolyte. You know, as he goes, as he recounts his history. You know, it's a it's a great framing device. Mm -hmm. You know, the main story and the history of. Of who he was, but yeah, it's really gory. At one stage, he just lands on a guy with his part armor, and then the next guy just he literally just knocks him in half with his big power fist. Um, but it's yeah, it's very very good. Um, and I was still, you know, in the I was I was still cheering whenever the the Ultramarine arrived. You know, the Space Marine arrived in the in the backstory mm-hmm. uh, to to save the kid and and all of that. So. Um, yeah, very very good stuff. Yeah. Very good stuff. I hope they continue this. Uh, I think it was yeah, know, when... solicited as five, but I think that was very much a testing ground to see how it mm. got on. And the word certainly from people who are far more invested in this world than we certainly have been to this point, the word seems to be very, very strong on it. You know, I think mm. it's I think it's attracted some new readers, but I think it's also appeasing the uh, the longtime fans. So we always mm-hmm. knew Karen Gillen had the skill to pull something like this. Oh, off. yeah. And, and Jason Burroughs is actually the perfect choice of artist for it. Mm. You know, whenever you consider the level of uh, the level of, of, uh, of gore. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Marvel now have the Warhammer license. This is an officially licensed product, so I guess it's, it's canon. There are many, many stories that, that could be adapted, you know, many novels and stories that could be adapted to comics. You know, there's potential for an ongoing series, a number of ongoing series. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Warhammer 40K is that dark future. Warhammer itself is more the fantasy side of things, so you'd be getting more into Conan sort of period. Yeah, but with a lot more chaos and and, and stuff. So yeah, I, I I hope I know this is five, but I hope they have something ready to go. You know, because I I would stay on it for sure. No, definitely, definitely. Uh, and then just one last title, just to have a quick uh, chat about. We had Venom number thirty-one hit this week, so this literally followed maybe two seconds after the end of Keenan Black. If you want to talk about vital crossovers or vital tie-ins, I think. And it's and it's fair to assume this was always going to be one because it is, of course, Donny Cates and it is, you know, the title that set up Keenan Black after all. I know that Keith and I were fans of this. I know that uh, a certain other gentleman was not quite so fond. I'll start with what I liked about it. <laughs> Ever the, the diplomat. Art was, the art was absolutely fantastic. I don't think Rand Stegman was on it. It was Ivan Coelho. Ivan Coelho. Coelho. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, some of the some of the art on it was. You know, fantastic. I, I, you know what? I'm going to hold my hands up and I'm going to say that maybe this was a case where I had to have an expectation for this issue. Also, maybe my my comic naivety in that I just kind of thought nothing happened. I, I thought it was 
fallen from a wall kind of flat. I know it went back to series issue one. I keep saying episodes and series for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, goes back to issue one a bit. But yeah, for me, and uh, I, I trust you two will tell me where I'm wrong and why I'm wrong. And while you said it's a it's a vital a vital crossover, I just think I expected a, a bit more from it. Uh, so yeah, if you wanna if you wanna turn into me and tell me how wrong I am, not at all. It's not nothing to do with being right or wrong at all. It's just for me, I think this was sort of you know you needed to catch your breath a little bit after Keenan Black. Keenan Black was so relentless. Keenan Black was so action packed. And to be honest, I think when it comes to this event, and I you know I could be wrong. We'll check back in a month or two. But for me, every issue of Keenan Black will be like that. It will be fast paced. It will be breakneck speed it will be demonstrations of nulls power and so on and so forth so these sort of tie-ins you can actually explore a little bit more and you know catch your breath almost i suppose mm, um, i mean and i think it's it's critical to mention that i mean this was obviously a, a you know a 20 21 22 page issue um and it it took place place within 32 seconds mm-hmm. so it chronicles the 32 seconds after the 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 end of King of Black number one. Um, so it is, as you say, it is 32 seconds in which Eddie is falling. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think there was some critical stuff in here. I think the stuff with Rex Strickland. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, was 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 key. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know that 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 vignette there. There's a reason that that Rex has has chosen Eddie because he did choose him in Venom one. You know, uh, and we're we're quite clear that Rex knew that this was coming. King and Black, you know, and 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 the absolute carnage stuff was 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 on route. So, uh, and the stuff with Dylan as well uh, was, was I think, fairly critical too. So, yeah, I, I think, enjoyed this. I think it was yeah, along with the union, which I I wouldn't say the union was essential to King and Black, but I enjoyed the union. Mm. Um, one or two of the other tie-ins, take them or leave them. This just felt sort of essential to me, but. Again, that whole breakneck pace and frantic action, I think you're going to get that in Keenan Black every issue. Yeah. And, you know, the other ones will just explore backstory or, you know, character development and stuff like that. So, so yeah, I really dug the issue as well. And, and again, yeah, special mention to the art. Eban Quello is, he, he's a long time, he's been filling in in Venom quite a few times, hasn't he? When Stegman's been working on Absolute Carnage or... Yeah, on yeah so Black, he's, so. Uh, yeah, Venom, Venom's in good hands while... While Stegman is, is often King and Black, for yeah. sure. Yeah, stalwart in this world, so he is. So, cool. So, that was Venom 31, and that brings it into the Marvel Honorable Mentions. Just a few indie ones to throw out. Uh, the first one was just from myself. I wanted to throw out a bit of love for this. It's a title called Mountainhead. Uh, this is a title by the writer of Sync, which you've probably heard me talk about a million times before. The artist, uh, the writer, as I say, is called John Lees. He also recently did an, a great AWA title called Hotel. And then the artist on this is Ram Lee, who worked on Archer and Armstrong. The reason I wanted to throw a bit of love out for this is this was one of those titles that was a, a victim of the pandemic. It was three issues in when the pandemic hit. Lockdown hit, printing presses stopped. They never even knew if they were going to get to finish this story off. But this week brought issue five, which was the uh, the finale to it. It's essentially a dark horror title set in this sort of sleepy mountain, um, mountain town. And it's to do with a, a kid who was... He was stolen from the crib and raised by this nomad and he was sort of, he lived a life on the road and he learned how to steal and survive and all this kind of stuff. But 
at the start of Mountain Head, he's reunited with his original family, uh, which is uh, in this uh, mountain uh, town, as I say. And then there's all this sort of great dark Cthulhu type stuff that then happens in the mountain town. Large monsters, hidden depths of evil, all this kind of stuff. Really class visual book. Um, beautiful to look at. Tons of horror in here. Tons of body horror, especially. You know, it's definitely for fans of, as I say, Cthulhu or the likes of The Thing, that kind of that kind of title so just really dug it i think it, it might find a second lease of life when it hits trade because again it, it really did just suffer from that release scheduling so just wanted to throw a bit of love out for that there is of course the inevitable uh, mention of seven secrets <laughs> because we can't go a podcast without talking about seven secrets continues to be one of the titles of the year tom taylor of course daniel dinaculo on art again very action filled and Again, just a great title. I mean, and I know how much you love this one as well, Paddy. Yeah, for me, the first half was kind of right, take a big breath. And then the second half was, here we go again. Yeah. Yeah, it just, it, it's, it's, you know what, I'm going to kind of link it back to The Mandalorian. You know when every episode is good and you almost get sick and tired of talking about how good it is because you sound like nothing but a fanboy. I want a bad issue of this. I want an issue where I can turn around and go, you know what, that wasn't great. But yeah, it was it was fantastic. I don't uh, think I don't it, think that's gonna happen. I don't think so either. I mean I think the pacing is class. I think in five issues, you know, the uh the society, um what do you call them? Uh I can't even remember what you call the what you call it, the, the the keepers of the, the secrets? Are they just the keepers? It's the society, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. But they have gone from being on top and confident to being on the edge, like being really threatened. And you really feel that threat. This just needs to be a movie. <laughs> it just needs to be 100%. a movie. It's, it's cinematic as all get out. Like, it really is. I mean, the, the scene with the parachutes was unbelievable. The... You know the the way they presented. Uh, oh, that sitting duck scene with the parachutes was just incredible. Yeah, it was, and the scene with Gareth, you know, who, you know, the captain of the guard, you know, who's also the keeper of history. I could just see that as a just a wee flashback, you know, just a wee, you know, tw- twenty second flashback with it. I mean, Jesus, it's like it's storyboarded, like it's just it's so good. You know, it's a good, you know, it's good when you don't wonder what the secrets are. Does that make sense? You know, you, yeah, at no yeah, point that. if I went, oh, just tell me what the secrets are, because even though the story is about them, you don't care because there's just so much more going on. You're already so invested in the characters. But although the next issue does say secret revealed. So, yeah, I know. And I, I, I absolutely agree where Amon is, is on the phone to Verity. He was on the video call. He's obviously he's, he's in her power. And uh, he says, well, whatever you, he, as someone who has come from the society, as someone whose mother is, is the leader of the society, you know, uh, you know, he's saying, don't be in with this. Whatever you do, don't open any cases. Uh, I mean it, you don't know what you're dealing with. Um, you know, I don't, I want to know what the secrets are, but I also don't want her to open the cases. <laughs> and then so. that, that reveal as well, when the camera kind of pans back, see the camera and doing it again, the next scene pans back and he's actually chained up. Yeah, he's chained up. Yeah, uh, it's 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 so good. It's such a good, uh, such a good book. Yeah, action packed. Yeah, as yeah. you say, the Seven Secrets. They're just pretty much what Hitchcock used to always refer to as the MacGuffin. That was the thing all the yeah. characters are chasing, yeah. but what it means is totally inconsequential. You know. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, Seven Secrets continues to be great. Uh, of course, another big indie title this year that has hit the ground running was Crossover. So we went into number two of that. So we were, of course, already singing Donny Cates' praises. Although I'm guessing you enjoyed this Donny Cates title more, Paddy, than you enjoyed the other Donny Cates title. Uh, I did, yeah. The, the thing with this, this is exactly what Crossover needed. We kind of left the end of issue one. We didn't know where the story was going. This issue sets up the story. Uh, we're going to have Ellie, Eva who displays really freaky powers towards the end of the issue, uh, burning a rat alive. And Otto looks like they're going to head to a holding camp where, uh, the, what is it, they're not the, the not normals, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, 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 the folks who are supposedly contained inside the force field, and apparently yeah. there's a lot of them who aren't contained inside the force field. And then um, the character ran as well. Even, you know, issue one, he, he was barely in it. He threw a petrol bomb and, and, and that was it. You know, he has that note and you read that note and it's just, is that note from himself? Is that note, you know? The, the, it's, yeah, there's a lot more going on here. Um, it, it ends with the, I'm going to say this wrong, the ellipses, is it? The three dots? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also that lane, good luck, you're our only hope. Yeah, yeah. You know, a wee, a wee reference there to Star Wars, but yeah, it, it sets up the story going forward. I know Donny Cates has tweeted saying that Issue three and issue six are absolutely massive and to order accordingly. So there's no doubt that the next issue will be will be a big one. But but this is exactly what it needed. It, it sets up the story. It almost I think as well sets up the second arc when he starts. You know the kind of the narrator at the start saying, uh, "Let me see. This is more of a second arc storyline. Actually, probably shouldn't even have brought it up. Sorry." And then he goes on to do it again later. He, he kind of reverts back to it. And then he's like, no, wait, that's not right. Shit, that's not right. You know, it's, it, it's yeah, but it's a strong issue, setting up the story nicely. And, yeah, I, I'm more invested now after issue two than than I was with issue one. Uh, yeah, I love the uh, the opening sequence of the news is reporting the death of another, <laughs> the burner of another comic writer. In this case, it was Brian K. Vaughan. Chips, uh, Chips he's missing. <laughs> Yeah, what is it they refer to Brian K. Vaughan as in it? Um, oh, God, I don't have the issue in front of me, but from his sizable mansion or whatever it was, yeah. They they refer to Marvel one, writer. That was it. It they was Marvel writer. They're writer. like, is that what they're really referring to him as, the Marvel writer? When clearly all his best work was done for Vertigo and Image. Uh, yeah, I thought that was really. Yeah, the jail scene as well. You can clearly see someone there that's that's meant to be Batman. Oh, this is an absolute a lawsuit waiting to happen right there, unless my guess is right, and this is all leading to a DC Marvel crossover with Image. But I think we're away from that a little bit. We'll see. Well, uh, I mean, I think he, he could run the risk. I think of of losing people. You know, if people buy into it based on that that concept that we're going to see Superman, Batman, Iron Man, Spider Man, whoever. Uh, but yeah, this issue, yeah, it's probably would have been my pick of the week if it wasn't for Scarantood, mm -hmm. because it just sets up the story nicely after issue one. Sweet. So crossover number two, and then just one last one just to finish off with is, again, another title that certainly Keith and I chat about uh, almost every time there's a new issue. And again, it didn't disappoint. This is the second volume of Year Zero, and we're on to issue two now. We had that beautiful cover that, of course, evoked images of issue one of Year Zero, which was mm -hmm. the RV with Zombie Killer on the side. Now it's on the side of a boat, which is quite apt, given the absolutely brilliant characters off the coast of Norway. The greatest, mm -hmm. hardest grandmother this side of Once and Future, clearly. 
<laughs> yeah, Halle, Halle Ragnar. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was great. So again, we've got you know the four following four characters who I think these four characters are, are more interesting than the previous yeah. the previous four exactly. in volume one. You know, we've got Halle Ragnar and her two grandchildren or two grandsons, I think. Uh, you know, on board the Norwegian off the coast of Norway, and they're attacked by they're attacked by pirates and and, and fend them off. But I think we're we're potentially setting up a setting up a, uh, a vendetta here. Um, we've got El Topo in Colombia, the, uh, the 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 drug baron. Um, you know, he's killing peasants just for the crack. And uh, I think there's there's something going to be happening there. Uh, you know, with regard to his his staff and people, maybe. I don't know. Too scared to do anything, but moves maybe have been made. Tina Pumper, the uh, the pregnant uh, pregnant woman in uh, in the uh, in the what do they call them, a mall in Arizona? Yeah, you gotta love the fact that he goes outside and gets attacked, and instead of even possibly trying to help him, she just runs back and said, pulls the shutter down. And is like, yep, uh, he's gone sort of yeah. thing so yeah that was uh quite the interesting one and then the, the story that sort of we know the least about so far i think it's fair to say the rwandan doctor i think yeah, it, Ishmael. It, yeah it seems to be the slowest moving of the of the stories so far um at, but again yeah, um, i think a lot of that's due to how class the uh norwegian fisher woman is she's just oh i think the the whole thing is it's great i mean his story i think will be front and center maybe next issue based on what happens in the story at the end of this issue yeah uh yeah, very, very good. Very good indeed. Really enjoying it. Really enjoying it. Yeah, it continues to be very, very strong. So Benjamin Percy writing on that, of course, and then Juan Jose Rip on art. Um, but yeah, we'll finish off as we always finish off, and that's with having a look at this week's pull lists and the titles we're looking forward to most. Uh, I have to say, I, I nearly always fill in my ones first, so I probably steal some of the ones that other people might do. Yep. And I think that's very true of my first pick. We, uh, this week we have the release of the Reckless hardcover. So this is the latest original graphic novel from Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips and Jacob Phillips on colours for this as well, who... We, of course, recently uh, chatted to in the podcast with the artist of That Texas Blood, along with writer Chris Condon. But this is his dad, Sean Phillips, on art. Jacob does the colors. Ed Brubaker on writing duties from the world of criminal. Fantastic. You know, this is this was definitely the thing I'm looking forward to most this week. Then you've got Rorschach number three. Uh, I think Rorschach is another one of those slow burners, but I thought issue two was a step up from one. And I'm really looking forward to three. And then Dark Knight's Death Metal 6 took my last pick simply because the last stories of the DC Universe was so good that I just was I was itching for more metal. So, yeah, those were my three picks for this week. How about yourself, Paddy? What do you got? I went for Miskatonic 2. Uh, massive shootout to Keith for recommending issue 1. Absolutely loved it start to finish. Glad to hear. Uh, Stillwater 4 by mm. your good friend Chip Sardarsky who was recently announced as a Batman writer coming in March. Is that right? Yeah, there's a six-issue yeah. mini-series that uh, has Batman in it, but also characters like Grifter and so forth as well. I believe... Has Matthew Grifter was... in it, but also yeah. characters like Batman. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm trying to you know mention other characters here as well. But yeah, I mean... We, we like to think that, you know, we broke that news when we interviewed Chip Zdarsky and he told us, I'm not exclusive to Marvel. I'm going to let you in on the secret. Then all this DC work just keeps piling up, but... I said this to Vicky earlier about Chip. I said that uh, I'm really glad he's writing a lot of stuff for DC, but he better not leave Daredevil. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, cool. That was your second pick, Stillwater number four. And, and then third? lastly, Batman 105, which I believe is the last number title of the year, 
that is were followed by a Batman annual, which is going to tell the story of Clown Hunter. Yep, oh, Batman his origin right. story. Yep, yep. Are they going to resort back to number ones, do you think, after Future State? No, I don't think so. I think what they've solicited so far has been just a continuation of those numbers. So That's good. Uh, I would like to see a continuation of those numbers. Personally, again, I, I hate complimenting Marvel over DC, as you well know, but I really wish DC would just do what Marvel do. Stick a legacy number below it and keep your current numbering for what is Rebirth. So, uh, yeah, that's your three. And um, what about yourself, Keith? What three have you got? Uh, let me see. Uh, Blade Runner 2029, number one. Uh, it's cheeky because, you know, Blade Runner uh, 2019 uh, has just finished at issue 12, I think. So this is sort of a, I guess, the, the, the arc after that. But, uh, you know, Blade Runner, it's moved on 10 years, naturally, you know. So we're, we're jumping on here seeing um, an emotionally changed Ash back in the LAPD's Blade Runner division. And once again on the streets hunting renegade replicants. Uh, and she finds her loyalties and humanity challenged by two replicants, one offering her salvation, the other deadly damnation. That's Mike Johnson on writing and uh, Andre Guinaldo on uh, on art. Uh, for me, then, second choice, American Ronin number three uh, by Peter Milligan and Echo on art. Uh, War is over. Democracy is an illusion. Real power now lies not with the nation state, but huge corporations engaged in silent war for global domination. So their number one weapon in this war is highly skilled, technologically enhanced operatives that have been trained, you know, and are allied to their corporate flag. But one of these operatives has clearly broken free of those mental chains and decided to hold, bring the whole system down um, with his particular technological uh, empathic ability, uh, you know, the, the, the ability to feel what his targets are feeling and to manipulate them based on that. Uh, so that's American Ronin number three. And then lastly, uh, I'm looking forward to Decorum number six uh, by Jonathan Hickman uh, with Mark Huddleston, Mike Huddleston on uh, on art. And this, of course, is the story of, uh, there are many assassins in the known universe, but this is the story of the most well-mannered one um, and a variety of other things, uh, world and universe building that uh, is, is absolutely fantastic. And I think this is one that is going to benefit from Rereading once the whole story is told. Uh, absolutely fantastic stuff, especially the way Huddleston absolutely varies his his art style. You know, from from black and white to fully painted to uh, unbelievable stuff. So, yeah, for me, it will benefit from a actual reading because I get two issues in the decorum. And it was so bloody complex. and <laughs> It was the same with issue one. <laughs> I just felt that Jonathan Hickman is just operating on a different level than the rest of us So, uh, in, in terms of intelligence. So I just decided I'm going to hold back, let all eight issues come out, and I'm just going to read it all in one go. So, uh, that's, rather, fair. that's fair. So that'll be as far as number six. Perfect. So that's going to do it for us this week. So again, any titles you like the sound of that we've chatted about, get in touch with the store through all the usual channels through Facebook Messenger, give us a call. Um, you can find the phone number on our Facebook page as well. And we, we're on the, all the other usual outlets as well as that. So, Or if there's any titles that we're looking forward to this week, let us know the same thing. So the store is open as normal for the moment. Uh, I say for the moment because who knows when that'll change and it inevitably will. But for the moment, we're open as normal. But please do wear a mask if you're in the store. Be respectful of, of people's spaces if you're in the store as well. And, you know, there's there's hand sanitizer and gloves and everything by the door. So, um, yeah, just a little bit of common sense you're in the store. And we'll get along fine. So, yep. Thanks, as always, to my uh, brothers in arms. So, cheers, Keith.
Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. That was that was really good fun, and it uh, it bears mentioning that uh, if you're uh, you're enjoying the podcast, I think if you you look back along the feed to the previous one, as Alan mentioned earlier on, we have a fantastic interview with uh, Chris Condon and uh, and Jacob Phillips uh, of uh, that Texas Blood, the fantastic dark western noir story that, uh, that from a means that has been doing really well even through the pandemic uh we've got a few other exciting things coming up name uh, some names no i'm afraid not uh <laughs> many thanks for your input as always patty no problem really enjoyed it really fun really fun discussion but despite all of your good points you've put in there you have not yet earned who our other interviews are with you'll just have to wait so <laughs> <laughs> cheers that guys i'll i'll see you in store soon good night Uh...